fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Tim. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about how corporations are turning your kids trans, normally with my friend Vienno, but they are in Finland right now, so my friend Tim is joining us instead. How are you, Tim? I'm good, I'm good. I'm happy to be jumping on this grenade on, on Vienno's behalf. <laughs> it, listen, this episode's gonna be weird. <laughs> we... It's weird on two fronts. Like it, it goes in directions that I was not expecting. Uh, we have a new sort of like right wing uh, special boy we're going to to learn about today. Uh, but then also we're going to talk about some conspiracy theories. So uh, new right wing boy just dropped. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I have a feeling this right wing boy has been around for a while, but it was the first time I've ever heard of them. Which is always it becomes a new uh, relative to to my understanding of those. <laughs> Did you have an audio clip, like a Street Fighter, like, here comes a new challenger? <laughs> I should, you know, I should do, every time a new boy comes up, I should be able to, to play that. But anyways, uh, Tim, you, you come to us all the way from the now cold country of Australia, and I heard that you had an election recently. How do you feel now being controlled by the World Economic Forum and their underlings? I mean, look, it's all about uh, picking your poison in that sense. I mean, did you want to be sold off to, to private corporations or do you want to be controlled by a shadowy cabal? Like, those are the only two options. Well, I mean, it's I, I'm assuming the Labour Party in Australia, which is the, the party that won, right? Uh, I assume that they're just going to sell to the corporations, but slower. Is <laughs> yeah, it was just slower and to, to, to slightly different private interests. I've got to be honest about this. It was such a tease because while everybody wants uh, the, the liberal national coalition to lose because they're just awful, like, you know, we're, we're really sick of them in that sense. No good person wanted Labour to win either. Like in our parliamentary system, the best you could have hoped for, and we got so close to it as well, was to have a hung parliament because the next biggest party that would hold the balance of power is the Greens, which is nominally our best, you know, large party over here. And we, we got so close to that, but then coming right down to the line, uh, Labour just squeaked through with just a razor-thin majority, and now they can do whatever austerity nonsense they want to do. Yeah, we we have a balance of power situation happening here, and uh, I, I don't. It's hard. It's always hard to assess when you're in the middle of it whether it's working well or not. I, I feel like a lot of people are critiquing our more left of the uh, coalition parties as being uh, not not strong enough in forcing the liberal government. Uh, to, to be more left. But at the same time, they, they got some agreement for the next four years to hopefully implement some sort of universal program for dental. Uh, of course, a lot of people have doubts about that. But you know what? If it happens, we can look back <laughs> that at least we got something and it wouldn't have happened unless there was the, the balance of power. So uh, Yeah, I mean, look, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. <laughs> But I do find it funny in terms of like rebel news content. I, I love that Avi Yamini, who's uh, the rebel Australian correspondent, decided to leave right in the middle of your campaign season to go to Davos, Switzerland, because apparently that's where the real platforms get sort of like chiseled out and then they bring it to Australia. So, uh, so yeah, you're going to be uh, a, a controlled by the World Economic Forum, as we're going to learn today on today's show. <laughs> Finally, some leadership. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And on that note, uh, we might as well get right into it. So here it is. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we're covering the week of June 13th to June 17th. And Ezra begins the week by talking about a new Abacus survey. So Abacus is just a, a polling company within Canada. And they asked people whether they believed in certain conspiracy theories. And then at the end of the survey, they took like demographic data, including what people's political affiliations in Canada were. Uh, I presume that, that wasn't how the questions were presented. Like, do you believe in the following false conspiracy theories, <laughs> dummy? Yeah, I, I don't think it was set up that way. I, I, I haven't looked at the actual like uh, survey because I, I imagine like Ezra is going to hyper focus on certain questions that are relevant to him and avoid others. But my guess is that it had a wide array of different beliefs and to sort of like throw people off of the scent. You know, Abacus has been around for a while. So, I mean, Ezra's going to talk shit about them in a few seconds. But like. My feelings are just kind of like neutral about them. Like, have they probably put out bad polls? I like, I imagine like any polling company, they they've probably thrown out a few stinkers, you know. But they're just a, a run of the mill polling company, and sure, cool. I'm glad you're asking these questions. You know? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> of course, uh, one of the main findings is that uh, you know conservatives are a lot more likely to support our conspiracy theories. And this is uh, why Ezra wants to analyze this survey to sort of like, discredit's the wrong word, but like cast, sort of like, I don't know, make it, make the data fit the way he wants to read it, if that makes sense. So, uh... I'm to for a second here. Uh, you know, at last a chance to sort of use my degree. Um, this is actually almost identical to a topic that I ran a research project on with one of my honor students last year uh, in endorsement of conspiracy theories and how that aligns with moral and political things. Um, I just want to put it out there, not to poison the well or anything, but that's also exactly what we found as well, is that conservative people of particular stripes are very likely to endorse not just some, but most conspiracy theories you put out there. No, I mean, that's uh, thanks for bringing that up, because like, I mean, like I did my honors thesis on, on similar topics about like political conservatism. And like those were the, I mean, it's been a pretty consistent finding for the past <laughs> 10, 10 or so years uh, that, that we've known that there's an association here. Uh, of course, that doesn't. Breaking new ground here. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't mean that you can't have uh, left wing conspiracy theorists. There just tends to be, I mean, like you, you especially see it now with this sort of like connection between like QAnon and like new age movements and stuff like this, where it's like, New Age cultists sort of get like painted as left wing because they have this vaguely hippy dippy sort of like quality to them. But like when you actually press these people on their beliefs, like they've been conservative for forever, <laughs> uh, especially when you get into like the purity politics and stuff like that. Like they're very especially like like clean living and this idea of like uh, purity uh, of the body. Is very yeah exactly. They're, they're not what we consider progressives or anything like this. They're just a, a granola brand of, yeah. uh, of conservatism. Correct, granola very apt there. <laughs> so the first thing, so Ezra has sort of like three strategies of attacking this survey, and the first is that Ezra wants to dismiss the survey itself, 
by saying that the head of Abacus is actually a liberal shill, and therefore you can't take anything they say seriously, especially if it's about conservatives. So <laughs> now I get the guy's name is like Bruce Anderson or Brian Anderson or something like this, and I guess he he's like written for the Globe and Mail and has had a few positive things to say about Trudeau. Beyond that, I, I don't know what Ezra's time like, I guess, like, maybe he's friendly to Trudeau. Like, I, I don't know. But like, does that mean that all the people working for because like, I don't even know if if the head of Abacus was the sole arbiter of putting out this specific survey. <laughs> or like how that works, you know? Well, I'm just going to assume that this is a, a one man show. Like he wrote all the code himself, wrote all the items. Yeah, he's, he's there's no employees that work. <laughs> Abacus It's just one dude. This one one lone liberal loving Trudeau supporting dude. The uh, the second argument is a bit more convoluted, and Ezra talks. So Ezra begins this argument by talking about how Bill Clinton. So this is going to seem a little off track here, but he mentions Bill Clinton, and he says when Bill Clinton was losing in the polls, he tracked to the right because even though Clinton is of course a creepy pedophile person. Uh, uh, at least on my part, I agree with the creepy thing. The the uh, the evidence is out on the pedophilia thing, although he he was friends with Epstein, so <laughs> we'll just have a shrug on that one. But he's like deep down inside, Bill Clinton still likes people, and he goes Trudeau on the other hand hates people. So instead of capitulating, uh, saying that uh, uh, you know he was wrong. He got ahead uh, and made Abacus uh, put out a survey painting the conservatives as stupid, right? So let me, let me say that in a little bit more simple terms. What he's trying to say is that there's a conspiracy which involves Trudeau and the head of Abacus, and they conspired to put out this survey to make conservatives look stupid for supporting cons uh, conspiracy theories in order to make Trudeau seem smart even though no one likes him, and that's why he's losing in the polls. You follow? <laughs> Look, I, I don't, far be it from me to cast aspersions on, on, on Ezra's reasoning here, but every one of those links seems very tenuous to me. Well, here he is putting it in his own words. So that's where this poll fits in. Trudeau isn't wrong. He's never wrong. The people are wrong. The fact that the people don't believe him, obey him, support him means that they must be nuts or misled or ignorant or into conspiracy theories. It's the only reason why any person wouldn't support Trudeau. I mean, those truckers, right? How dare they? They must be Vladimir Putin stooges. It's the only explanation that fits. Look, 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 I'm going to I'm going to make a hard turn on you here. Ezra has convinced me because his argument is that Simpsons meme. It's, it's Trudeau as Principal Skinner saying, like, am I so out of touch? No, no, it's the people who are wrong. You know, I, I don't, the funny thing is, like, I don't doubt that Trudeau probably has feelings like that. Like, I, like that strikes me as plausible. It's just like, do they need to go out of their way to do a survey? <laughs> don't, the other elements of this just don't make any sense, especially, like, it's good that you you brought up earlier that you've done work on this that we talked about that because it's like this data isn't like shocking or new like you know, <laughs> this is a common trend so it's like okay the survey supports what we've already been saying like 
it's just so weird to have this like weird convoluted explanation of why this survey needs to be either like ignored or rejected. However, so we're, we're going to get into the next sort of way of him dealing with the survey, which is ironic given the answers we just got, which is him basically going through some of the questions on the survey and trying to argue why these are legitimate. <laughs> so it's, now it's him going, here's why these conspiracy theories are in fact true and we need to believe them. So answering these questions on the survey were the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, what better way is there to disprove the idea that right-wing people believe conspiracy theories than Ezra reading some of the conspiracy theories and saying, but I believe this. Yeah. <laughs> now, he, he does this very, it's very odd, because, like, he doesn't, like, 100% endorse as written some of these statements. But then, like, he goes through these weird sort of, like, tales where it'll start with what the question is, and he'll sort of, like, sidetrack ab about, like, well, here's what it possibly could mean, and here's, like, the parts I agree with but don't agree with. And then when it gets to the end, he, like, brings it back to the question itself and be like, well, that was a, like, th then why wouldn't people be afraid of this? Or, like, y even though that's not what the question asks. Like, this might sound confusing as I'm framing it now, but we're going to watch him do this several times. <laughs> and I think the pattern will, will emerge from this. Uh <laughs> I can't wait to go on this journey. So the first point is that 44% of people believe that big events are controlled by small groups of people working in secret against us. So that's like what the survey found. And Ezra then goes on a long rant to say that the pandemic was a big event and it was controlled by unelected elites, especially health bureaucrats. And therefore, he's actually surprised the number is as low as 44%. Look at that question again. Big events like wars, recessions, and the outcomes of elections are controlled by small groups of people working in secret against us, and 44% of people agree. I'm just amazed that 56% of people think that the last two years was some sort of normal democratic outcome. So he goes into more details. I, I cut it off there just because it's like, again, you could see that the question wasn't really about like it being a democratic or undemocratic outcome. But that's sort of like what he focuses on, like how undemocratic it was. But like, that's not a conspiracy. That's just like, okay, you didn't personally have a hand in electing, directly electing the health bureaucrats. They were like appointed by the people you elected. Also, I don't want to quibble this too much, but I mean, in the context of the pandemic, if anything, uh, the small people in ch the small group of people in charge, if anything, uh, should be most criticized for how much they didn't control it. Because I mean, it's just a, a natural phenomenon that happened. And then you have to kind of deal with that when it does. Well, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like when he's talking about or when the survey asks about big events, I think like what they're trying to say is like, say, a conspiracy in which some people orchestrated to create the pandemic or right or the response to the pandemic was like orchestrated. But like that, like that again is not like sort of like addressed in anything that like Ezra says, like to him, it's just it was a big event. And things were controlled, ergo the question you should have answered yes to the question, which is like, what does that even mean? <laughs> I mean this is two really radically different things. It says a pandemic was happening. Did some group of people in charge organize a response to it? Yes, I think everyone agrees that was happening. But that's very different than like a small group of people in a Wuhan lab created the event where there was none. That's 
very different. I mean, he brings up the Wuhan labs, but like at a hand distance this time, even though like at the beginning of the pandemic, he was all into like the Wuhan conspiracy shit. But there's just also like, I feel, and we'll get to it in a, in a few of the next clips, clips as well, which is this notion of like conspiracy to him where like, he sort of like confuses the meaning of like secrecy where it's like, I'm sure like the health bureaucrats are having meetings in quote unquote secret, but they're not like explicitly done to like avoid letting the public know about things. It's just like bureaucrats have meetings just like, you know, any business in town is having meetings and I don't have access to it right now. That doesn't necessarily make it a conspiracy theory, right? Especially when a lot of the things that he's mad about is like public things that they did, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's this idea of like, hey, wait a minute. I have no idea what McDonald's is putting in their secret sauce. This is a conspiracy yeah. because I'm not in the room where they're mixing it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's like, you know, it's almost like he's he's criticizing secrecy itself. But then it's like, I mean, like, I, I'm I'm a big fan of transparency, but like, I also understand a need for privacy as well. So it's like, it's how do you balance these two things? And for him, it's like, no, it can't be complicated at all. Everything has to either be open, <laughs> completely accessible all the time. Well, that is the, 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 the Ezra oeuvre, is that anything that I might want to criticize for my own benefit should be as transparent as possible to facilitate that. Anything that I think might bring scorn onto me, no, the, the, then privacy is absolute. So then Ezra... Uh goes on to refer to the World Economic Forum. So, of course, uh, that comes up. He calls it a secret society, which we can quibble with that in a bit. And his evidence that they're a secret society is that they wouldn't let Rebel News employees into the Davos event. <laughs> uh, which then gets to the next survey question, which is that 20% of the people uh, believe that the World Economic Forum as a secret plot to control people. And Ezra says this number is so low because the mainstream media doesn't talk about it. So it's like, most people would believe this conspiracy theory if only they were able to hear it because the World Economic Forum actually does control everything. I mean, once you buy that premise, then yeah, the only explanation for why more people don't believe it is they just haven't heard. What is the WEF? I don't know. Yeah, so we... This is so now we get into the part of like, okay, so he's now called them a secret society. So now he wants to sort of like pontificate about what that really means. Like what what is a secret group? What is a secret society? So here's here's Ezra philosophically sort of like wrestling with this. Here's another question from the pollster. Secret societies control the world. 22% agreeing, 31% unsure, and 47% saying no. Well, I don't know. The World Economic Forum is secretive. The United Nations is secretive. George Soros is secretive. Um, but he does tell us some things. Here's his official website, the Open Society Foundations. If you scroll slowly down it, you can see all of the places around the world where they're propping up left-wing activists, undermining local sovereignty, and basically trying to buy democracy. He even has funded violent revolutions in other parts of the world, the so-called color revolutions in Eastern Europe. You can see they brag about having spent $18 billion. And all the way down, you can see that Soros has pledged $32 billion of his own fortune. So yeah, I'm not sure it's a secret society, but it's secretive. And 
It's definitely undemocratic, and it absolutely has a huge impact on the world, including in Canada. And you can't vote them out, can you? I think when you say secret society, people think of a cult, something quasi-religious maybe, or a sex cult or whatever. They think of the Freemasons, that sort of thing, the Illuminati. I don't know a lot about those, but I am aware of some other secret societies. Um, like the casting couch culture in Hollywood. I ended the clip there, but he goes then on like an extended rant about Harvey Weinstein, their connections with the Democratic Party, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and again, his connections with the Democratic Party, of course, leaving out his connections with the Republican Party. But like he gets into all of that and he tries to argue like that, that that's what consists of like a secret society or like a secret thing. But then I'm like, this again sort of like confuses things because like conspiracy is still like a real thing people conspire all the time to commit crimes in fact there was a lot of conspiring on january 6th <laughs> so it's like that's a difference between saying there's that and that there's this shadowy cabal of people like controlling jeffrey epstein but like i have absolutely no evidence that they exist i'm just going to say that they exist because i'm like seeing patterns where none exists like that's usually when people like are saying conspiracy theory that's what they mean would you have to assume that that's what the the, the question item was was aiming at whereas he's saying like oh no I'm, I'm gonna stretch the definition of secret society here where it's like is it a society that is secret from people no i'm gonna name several that all have you know public facing websites do they keep their actions secret no i'm reading off their websites all the stuff they brag about doing i, I it seems like there's no definition of secrecy that Ezra isn't willing to just flip on its head to say, by the way, the people I don't like are secret societies. But he's like connecting a whole bunch of like weird stuff, like because he's connecting the sort of like secretive nature of people actually committing illegal acts in like engaging in criminal traffic and conspiracy to cover it up uh, or human trafficking and the conspiracy to cover it up. And he's equating that with the secrecy in state like running an NGO, even though like what he's describing as secretive for the NGO is the fact that you don't get to democratically elect an NGO, even though like as he, he went through the stuff that's all publicly available. And then it gets to the point of like, is that a conspiracy theory or is that just planning? At what point is, is like, of course, like I don't agree with him about the color revolution, all like that stuff. Although like, I'm sure Soros supported uh, some of the movements involved in those, uh, uh, those events that took place but like the thing is it's like if you're just planning something at what point is that like you you go you going this is what we want to do how is that a conspiracy theory that's just a plan <laughs> yeah i'm planning out a set of steps what i'm aiming to do is not illegal i'm i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm announcing all of the things i'm doing and how i plan to do them it, it, it kind of seems like that's the antithesis of a conspiracy you would think but uh, according to ezra no it's uh that's that's conspiracy theory, having a plan. Like he makes the pivot to something wildly different, which is like, oh, what about like casting cult, ca uh, sorry, casting couch culture or something like this. Then yeah, like there, there's some kind of shadowy, uh, you know, backroom dealings that you, you hear about only indirectly and things like this. But like that, that could not be further than like NGOs that have like plans on their websites. And then the problem is you didn't elect them. Like you don't elect most people in most positions anywhere in the world. No, sorry, Tim, they're the same thing. <laughs> they're the exact same thing. The thing is, like, I wouldn't... 
I would be more charitable. But this is the second time that Ezra has done this in like the the past month by saying like plans are a conspiracy theory, which is <laughs> which is just like it, it like I don't like I don't know I don't know what's happening here. Like I almost feel like what's happening is he's trying to like manipulate his audience to sort of like make conspiracy like conspiracy thinking more palatable by sort of like making it so ambiguous as to what it is that like you're more open to like like i don't i don't know what he's it's either that or he's stupid <laughs> I can't it's tell. sometimes impossible to tell right because yeah i mean if, if we're taking the cynical read on this that ezra knows what he's doing and this is calculated in some way a conspiracy theory perhaps yeah then, then the idea would just be that yeah it's it's a plan of normalization the idea of like hey uh don't don't uh balk at conspiracy theories when you hear them from alex jones and the like in, in many ways lots of reasonable things would be described as conspiracy theories by uh by the left and things like this yeah, he's trying to break down those those boundaries um I, I don't know i don't know if he needs to do that isn't his audience pretty far gone by this point yeah uh, like i guess like uh the other part of it is just being like no you're normal for thinking the things that you're thinking so even though you're here and all your relatives and even Trudeau calls you, calls you a fringe minority, you're welcome here. Like, come on in, right? I, I think, like, some of that's going on as well. And so that's why he's trying. I think I think maybe the cynical ploy is it's, it's less about, like, manipulating his audience to make them more open to them. It could just be that he's, he's realizing he's attracted these group of people and he wants them to feel welcome. And that, like, even though he won't endorse everything you say 100%, He's still your friend and like thinks that it's correct on the edges, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's part of what drives the big epistemic divide between, you know, conspiracy minded people and less conspiracy minded people is they will shy away from any news source they think is judging them for being very credulous about certain things. And Ezra's like, oh, I'm not judging you. Uh, a perfectly reasonable person would think that, you know, these kinds of conspiracies are real. It's just kind of buttering them up in that sense because he knows they're listening. I mean, and we're going to get to that in a bit. But f first, I want to. I mean, we already sort of like went through it with the whole, uh, you know, is is are these NGOs and their secrecy like Jeffrey Epstein? But we're going to get, uh, you know, Ezra sort of like, I, I don't know, working through that by going through a bunch of like the Jeffrey uh, Epstein conspiracy theory stuff here. Do you believe that Jeffrey Epstein hanged himself in his jail cell? Do you believe that it was just a coincidence that the security cameras in his cell were turned off? Really? Uh, do you think that it's a coincidence that the guards to his cell falsified records? And do you think it's a coincidence that the government cut a deal with those guards to avoid a trial? I mean, the CBC believes it's a coincidence. I, I'm just wondering which explanation is more plausible, that there really was a global network of billionaires and politicians who raped children. And when the kingpin of that rape gang got caught, his wealthy and powerful clients arranged that he be suicided to protect the client list. That's one answer, one explanation, or the official explanation, um, which is the real one, that it was just a series of whoopsies, whoops, it was suicide, whoops, the camera was off, whoops, the guards weren't guarding. Are we supposed to believe that he hanged himself and we should be fine with never knowing the client list? And we shouldn't ask questions or we'll be called crazy like Courtney Love was called crazy. I mean, now that Queen Elizabeth herself has stripped her son, Prince Andrew, of his re remaining royal affiliations and duties, 
because he admitted he paid an Epstein child victim an enormous settlement. And now that Melinda Gates is effectively calling her husband a child rapist, can we acknowledge the discrepancy here or do we still have to keep pretending? So yeah, what's the wording of that poll question again? Do secret societies control the world? Well, I don't know, they don't control me, but I'm pretty sure that whoever controlled Jeffrey Epstein's global pedophile operation wasn't doing it for the money, but rather was doing it for the blackmail power. So control the world? Well, part of the world, I think. Secret societies? I think you could call Epstein's world a secret society. If you add in Secret of United Nations and World Health Organization and World Economic Forum meetings, I'd say, yeah, there's some truth to it. Not everything's controlled by them, but some things are. It's it's like he is trying to compare the two, but like nothing he says like makes the direct comparison. It's just like, yeah, they're all, you know, they're all just keeping secrets and stuff. So it's like, you know, I'm not gonna say they're they're the same, but you you get you get what I'm trying to do here, right? I'm mentioning all these things in the same breath. No, not to say that the, the, the UN is a cabal of pedophiles, but I'm maybe <laughs> Maybe that's going on. I, I also think there's something to pause here, which is just like, this is also why I worry about uh, left-wing conspiracy theories as well, which is just like, like, I, I I am prone to think that like, it is, there is some weird stuff circulating about, or or that happened around the Epstein case, you know? And that, that should get you to be like, well, like, what is the truth here? And, and what are like, you know, competing parties involved? And like, Certain things like with what the guards are doing and anything that you could find there could be like them trying to just protect themselves from their own incompetence. Like it doesn't have to be a grand narrative per se. But I think like a lot of people get sucked down into those conspiracy holes. And then once you start going down that rabbit hole, you're more prone to just connect things wildly, even though at the base of even like this Epstein stuff, like I wish we had more evidence to make certain connections, but we don't or at least not yet, you know. I'm willing to be, like, open about it in the future, but, like, all we got right now for a lot of things is speculation. And, like, what good does it do us on the left to just, like, constantly, like, go over just, like, that shit? When there's, like, very real shit that's happening that we have evidence for every day, you know? Well, I suppose that's always the big thing about um, conspiracy theories, even when you talk about ones that are, are more left-leaning, is, like, where is the epistemic humility about it? It's, it's fine to sort of say, I think the official narrative on this Seems like it might be, you know, covering something up or omitting things because there's some, you know, special interest involved or something like this. And you could, you know, spitball what you think the truth is. But, like, it's very crucial to sort of say, that doesn't mean I know what the truth on this is. We've got to kind of say, we don't know what the truth is. There's a range of possibilities. Let's not overcommit to anything. But, you know, you and I, we're both factually minded, skeptical people, Jody. I think we can both agree. There's only two options here. Either the official narrative is 100% true or... Bill Gates himself and Hillary Clinton <laughs> went into Jeffrey Epstein's cell and beat him to death with their own hands. And uh, you know what? I Bill Gates got that blood on his hands. <laughs> he did it not. The other thing is in that clip, he just said that like Bill Gates's wife basically admitted that he was like a child rapist. In no clips does she ever say that. Like I just want to be. He plays this clip over and over again of Melinda. It, it like saying that she did not like Epstein and part of the fact that Bill Gates was friends with Epstein made her uncomfortable and that was part of the reasons why she separated with him. But like feeling uncomfortable because you don't like someone 
And, and like at that point, like she didn't know all the details, right? She just did not like this person and did not like that Bill Gates was hanging out with him. Then like all the other stuff comes out and now you feel vindicated and not liking the person. But that doesn't mean that she is therefore saying that Bill Gates is a child rapist, right? <laughs> oh, what, what I like about this is that Ezra's essentially doing something that a lot of toddlers do, which is that he's playing like the telephone game with himself. Like, he, he starts with what's actually said. Oh, Melinda Gates was uncomfortable with Bill Gates's, uh, you know, friendship or association with Jeffrey Epstein. Then every time he tells the story again to himself, he increments it a step further. Well, actually, that's, that's the main reason why she left him. Actually, she, she was very <laughs> confident that he was, and until eventually he's there being like, yeah, she said with her own words, I didn't like the taste of all the raped child adrenochrome on my husband's lips anymore, so I had to divorce him. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but like, yeah. I, I mean, like, and it's quite possible that he did. Like, I, I again, in terms of the epistemic humility, like, I have no clue. Uh, it's just, like, I've, this was the first time, I think, where he just, like, emphatically just said, like, she left him because he's a child rapist. And it's like, I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> well, then what you don't understand about journalism is that you don't have to ground the specific things you're saying uh, in, a, in a kind of factual record. You, you, can, you can spitball it a little bit. You can extrapolate. Well, I mean, now that he he mentioned Bill Gates, though, he's got he's got a taste. So he now wants to address the question of the survey, which is about the uh, Bill Gates putting microchips in the vaccine conspiracy theory. That was specifically one of the items in my honor students uh, uh, research project as well. Is Bill Gates doing great reset, putting microchips in people? Shockingly, many people are like, oh, it could be. I mean, it was pretty low. I mean, it depends on what you mean by low. It's still a lot of people when you think of like a number like 13%. So I think 13% of people on this survey were like, oh yeah, for sure. Bill Gates sticking those microchips in people through the vaccines. Like, so that, that does equate to a lot of people, but. <laughs> yeah, like the, absolute, the absolute numbers are much higher than you would want them to be. But this is, I guess, Ezra now going to uh, weigh on it. And like his, he starts by, at least he starts by saying that he doesn't believe that it's true. Okay. But then he continues, and when he continues, it, it feels like what he's insinuating is that it isn't really as crazy as you would think. Bill Gates uses microchips to track and affect people's behavior. Do you agree or not? 13% say yes, 21% don't know, and 66% say no. I mean, those kooks, right? I mean, who are those 13% who say yes? <laughs> They're crazy probably believe in UFOs or the Sasquatch. Now, I don't think Bill Gates is doing that. He used to run Microsoft, but since then he's been doing strange things like, I don't know, buying up more farmland in America than any other person. That's weird. But saying we have to get off meat and start eating synthetic meat. That's double weird. And telling us to drink what he calls poop water. That's super weird. And proposing a scheme to put billions of tons of dust into the air to block out the sun to reduce global warming. That and awkwardly answering questions about Jeffrey Epstein is what he's doing. Anyone else looking looking at this? Well, he's dead. So, uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. Uh, yeah, so I actually don't think Bill Gates is tracking us. And I don't think the COVID vaccines track us either. Though here's Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, talking approvingly about a plan to literally put microchips in your pills. So your pill can report back to Pfizer or the government, whoever, that you have obeyed and taken your dose. It is a basically biological chip that it is in the tablet. And once you take the tablet and dissolves into your stomach, sends a signal that you took the tablet. 
So imagine the applications of that, compliance. Uh, the insurance companies to know that the medicines that patients should take, they do take them. Uh, it is uh, fascinating what happens in, in uh, this field. That was at the World Economic Forum where he said that. So yeah, some conspiracy theory. Eh? It's so funny, all of these things are visible. If you look, if you agree with them, then you're good. But if you disagree with them, then they gaslight you. They say they're not real, they're a conspiracy theory. Again, he says that it's not true, but then like all, this whole piece here is to say like, well look, Bill Gates is into all this weird shit. And here's this other dude at the World Economic Forum who like wants to put microchips in your pills. So, you know, and then they want to gaslight you and say you're crazy for being a conspiracy theorist. I, the pill thing doesn't even seem that like shocking to me. Like, <laughs> look, obviously the inference that we're supposed to draw here is that Bill Gates probably isn't tracking you with microchips yet. It's entirely the kind of thing he would do and plans to do. It's entirely reasonable. Just, you know, he, uh, he's been busy. I mean, this is also another example of like some dude gave a talk at the World Economic Forum. And therefore, what that means is this is part of the World Economic Forum's plan. Not that they just invited some random dude or, or well, not, not random, but like someone who's an expert in a field. They invite him on just to hear what he has to say. But according to Ezra, that's that's them being open about their plans. Like, I, I find this so ridiculous. Well, that is Ezra's playbook, right? Like somebody at uh, the World Economic Forum is invited to give a talk saying like, this kind of prospective technology is being developed. It has interesting applications. And Ezra's like, ah, see, they admitted it. They're going to use this to control you. And That's like, the plan. I always find this like goes back to, uh, I mean, you find like this is how like Alex Jones and all of them got their start too, which was on like the population bomb, which is, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, Eric, Eric Lick? Or, uh, no, who, who was it again? The population bomb? Oh, that's going to drive me uh, crazy. Either way, the guy who did the population bomb, uh, which was about like the coming population catastrophe, he went into all this detail plotting out like what are possible things that the government could do. Uh, and then conspiracy theories took that book, took all the speculation about what, what could happen, what might happen, what are things you could do, and then insinuated that this is what they wanted to actually do and have been running on that shit to this day that like the elites are going to like depopulate us or like other shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Wikipedia says it was it was Paul Ehrlich. So. Paul Ehrlich. I knew I got Ehrlich right. I just uh, screwed up his first name. But yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, like, that's the thing. So it's like you just and the thing is, like the World Economic Forum, similar to like TED Talks, you now have like an endless stream of that, right? You don't just have the one book by by Paul, right? You can instead just look at like, oh, this person gives a talk. I can cherry pick all the weird shit that he says and pull it, right? And now you have like an endless source of like this conspiracy mining. I mean, it's funny because if you're willing to just quote things out of context like that and, and just trust that your right-wing audience is going to read between the lines that there is nefarious intent because it's at the World Economic Forum, then just... Every time someone gives a talk, oh, a new technology with certain applications is being developed. Like, oh, that's what they're going to do with it. Every time somebody like uh, Harari like gives a talk saying, like, here's some problems that might come up in the future. Oh, they're going to engineer these problems. You do yeah. it every time. And I should say it at a, as a correction, because uh, you brought this up beforehand, which is that Vienna and I had a back and forth about the extent to which Harari was a techno-optimist versus a pessimist. And Tim, having read the book, informs me that he is, in fact, more of a pessimist. Uh, than Vienna was was insisting they were. So, 
you get a slightly mixed bag with Harari because like his first most popular book was all about oh look at how far uh, humanity has come so that gives you that kind of a feeling uh, you of know, optimism sort of vibe yeah and then you get to, to Homo Deus and it's kind of like does the future look bright absolutely not because <laughs> that was that was the sort of like uh, feeling that I got uh, from it and I think Vienno had like was looking at both the Wikipedia and like some other things and got the impression that uh, Harari was way more of a, a techno optimist. And I, I think he's definitely more of a liberal uh, than probably I am, but uh, he's definitely a little bit more pessimistic. Uh, the way that I want to frame it and what I tried to get across in the last episode was that his prognostications uh, about what the future holds is not a prescription for what he wants the future to be, which is how people like Ezra and them are are reading him. And <laughs> that, I think, is the main takeaway, which is they've they've just taken his pessimistic scenarios and turned it into, like, this is actually what the World Economic Forum's plan is. And that makes no sense. Yes, exactly. Look, if I, if I can level just a little bit of praise uh, for the book Homo Deus, my favorite thing about it is that the kind of sales pitch of the beginning of it is designed to kind of draw in people who are techno optimists where they're like, yeah, you're speaking my language, Harari, you know, tell me about this future where we're going to be, you know, cyborg techno gods. And then like, there's this big pivot just past the halfway point. It's like, and here's why all of that's almost certainly not going to happen. <laughs> so then, I mean, another example of Ezra sort of like giving sort of credence to the chipping thing is he talks about pets being microchip. Uh, you know, which are like large tracking device microchips, which aren't uh, like, I don't know. Does he thinks like somehow those are going to like control you with the grand conspiracy? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but Ezra then goes on to say that if, uh, if the question was about tech companies tracking you with say like cookies and their algorithms, then more people would have said yes to the survey question. And my response to that is, but that isn't a conspiracy theory. So that's why that's they didn't. That's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they didn't ask the question. But then Ezra continues as if that was the question. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the amazing rhetorical move, right? It's like, well, they asked this thing that's not true. And people said they don't really believe it. But what if you'd asked this thing that is true? Wouldn't people have said they believed it then? Yes, Ezra. And yes, they would have. And then wouldn't they have been crazy for calling us conspiracy theories for believing this obviously true thing, even though they never said that was a conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> there might be a problem in the framing is what I'm saying. So, so here it comes. It's beautiful. What kind of nut thinks big tech is tracking you and nudging you? What kind of nut thinks that big tech is creating a database about you and is using that information to affect you, whether it's your shopping habits or your political habits only a crazy conspiracy theorist would believe that yeah or someone who understands how social media works and has read the terms of service and it's like of course well, they didn't ask that question as <laughs> no one's calling anyone who believes that a crazy conspiracy theorist it's also the funny thing is it's also not a conspiracy it's like the companies are like yeah we want to sell more widgets to you we are gonna it is have literally the business model yeah <laughs> I mean, like, even he admits it. It's in the terms of service. It's right there. He, like, he says it himself. See, this is one of those things where, like, uh, you know how, how a lot of right-wing uh, pundits like to talk about things being open secrets? Which is their way of sort of saying that, like, oh, this thing actually isn't a secret at all. But it sounds much shadier if I frame it like it is. 
this is it seems like this is just that there's so many weird things that I, i've thought about during this whole like segment which is like even like them talking about like george soros's open society foundation and then therefore it's saying it's a secretive organization even the whole thing is it's about creating open societies now like you could question whether george soros actually believes that or not and then like you could go into those details and sort of like investigate it it's just funny that it's like they they try to paint this conspiracy even though like the organization has the explicit like opposite <laughs> goal uh than what they like attribute to it so then we get to the part of the survey where it connects these conspiracy theories to the political ideology ezra specifically looks at the question about the world economic forum and wants to see which political parties believe in the World Economic Forum conspiracy theory explicitly. People's Party of Canada supporters are the most convinced of that, 61%. The Conservative Party of Canada, 30% of people who vote CPC are convinced of that. Other parties are too, including 18% of liberals. But you can see by ideology, the right is twice as concerned about this as the left. Maybe not even concerned, they're just aware of it. I think it's because the ideas of the World Economic Forum are essentially leftist and authoritarian and against the idea of a nation state. They're undemocratic. So if you're a leftist, what's the worry? Though That's your team. Bit of a bad characterization there, I think, but... True. And like, I also, like, I think that there's a lot of people on the left that would be critical of the World Economic Forum, uh, myself included, but it would not be because it's a grand conspiracy to control all of us being done in uh, secret. It's because... They're a neoliberal organization that I disagree with, <laughs> you know? Ah, but Jody, think about it. It's a giant neoliberal forum. Take off the neo. What's the word that's left? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as we all know, lib liberal is just a synonym of leftist. There's no daylight between those two concepts. I mean, we're, we're going to slowly move into the next guy soon, who is a big supporter of Reagan and Thatcher, so... <laughs> Speaking of, of neoliberals, uh, but like, it's it's just so, this whole thing has been like silly because it's like, it's weird because his definition of conspiracy theory is all over the place. They're like, I don't even know what the hell he's, he's getting at. And it's like being purposefully done to sort of like shield the people in his audience or bring people in by being like, you're not crazy. It's an interesting rhetorical move. It's like how a few years ago, everyone liked to pretend that you couldn't define what the term neoliberal means because, you know, that 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 diffuses the idea that you have a meaningful critique of letting markets manage everything in the world. In the same sense, you get some people now who are like, what even is a conspiracy theory? Surely it's reasonable to, to doubt official narratives sometimes and things like this. It's just entirely designed to give, you know, emotional succor to the people who are like, oh, I believe some wacky things. And the thing is, he's always been a conspiracy theorist. So part of it, I think, is like uh, self-motivated to protect his own ego from the, the claims of being a conspiracy theorist. Being like, I'm not unreasonable. I clearly, like, I might not fully endorse everything these uh, survey questions ask, but, you know, like, asking the questions is still good, right? <laughs> but yes, we move on. So that's, uh, I just found that that whole segment fascinating because it, it gave you a weird look into his own thinking about conspiratorial ideation which is fascinating yeah it's a, it's a very telling set of rationalizations which is like yes this survey does find that right-wing people believe in conspiracy theories but is that so unreasonable yeah. <laughs> surely if i spin a lot of 
you know, non-existent uh, contemporaneous details around these, it all seems very plausible. Moving on, though, we got that, like, the next uh, segment, which is the interview, is with a dude named Spencer Fernando, who's just, like, a random Canadian blogger type, and they're on to talk about the Emergencies Act, which was passed during the trucker convoy, and I guess there's, like, questions being raised as to whether, like, the police wanted the Emergencies Act to pass or not, and, like, they're on to chat about it, and, like, honestly, it's, I can't even assess it right now, because it's a, a bunch of hearsay, and there's no, like, hearings about it, so it's like, I'm stuck in a situation to be like, okay, cool, talk about it. I don't care. <laughs> so, moving on, we'll, we'll get to Tuesday, June 14th. So, we took a long time in the Monday episode, which I expected, and there's going to be another, like, longish segment, but I, I expected this when I was preparing for this episode. We're going to go a bit long, so, but uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy the next little bit coming up. So, on Tuesday... Ezra says the first reason that Trudeau, uh, oh, so I should say, Trudeau just ended the vaccine mandates for airplanes. So now you can hop on an airplane completely not vaccinated and fly around everywhere. Look, at the risk of editorializing, I think that's a bad call. Either way, he did it. (laughs) And I mean, like, other countries have done it as well. So it's like, like, I don't, there's a lot going on here. Consider this, Jody. Those countries are bad. True. I also don't know which countries like he, uh, have been specified on this thing because like I, I don't know if it applies to to you or not because in Australia because I know Avi Yamini who I don't believe is vaccinated left to go to Davos. I think we have it like a, a one way sort of thing here that like uh, you know foreigners have to be vaccinated to come in but like Australians are, don't have to be vaccinated to get on a plane. I don't think you can legally stop them from coming back even if they're not so long as they quarantine. So I think he's like he's slipping through on that technicality. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the whole thing is just a mess. But, like, Ezra, Ezra wants to speculate on just, like, what, well, why, why now? What, what, like, pushed Trudeau to, like, the edge for him to finally make the decision? And, like, his, his two, at least I could tease apart sort of two explanations about this, and they were both very silly. The first was that he believes that the trucker protest back in February was the equivalent of like the ash conformity test so that once once the truckers said no this isn't right they were like the person uh in the experiment who went against the grain and like said that yes this line is longer and allowed you even though you would have conformed to not conform yes the defector who broke the the unanimity of the group Right. And therefore absorb the initial social scrutiny that allows you to speak the truth. So that's that's what the truckers did that. It just seemed to have had like a rippling effect that it took it took several months before Trudeau finally the last mandate, I shall <laughs> That's <laughs> I don't know what like I guess like it it had it had to ripple out to everyone else that like it created enough critical mass for Trudeau to be like it's politically not good for us to keep uh, this policy in place. Sure, Ezra, why not? <laughs> the truckers were like, I am Spartacus, and now the whole, all of Canada is saying that. So True, true. Even though like all the elections happening around the country, the explicitly anti-vaccine parties are losing, uh, and all the people who kept the policies in place have been re-elected. So, I, whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Well, elections only sometimes are the will of the people, Jody. Again, Ezra loves to talk about when things are undemocratic, but you also can't read too much into what people vote for. I mean, come on. No, well, I mean, because they are brainwashed by the media party, obviously. 
Well, except for the right wing ones. They're they're bold, iconoclastic free thinkers who Trudeau needs to trash, uh, you know, to make himself seem smart. Which is why they solely get their information from Rebel News. Yeah, exactly. So the second reason why Trudeau uh, finally ended this mandate was because recently there was this viral video on TikTok of and he brought this up on his show last week and Vienna and I talked about it briefly because Vienna was about to get on an airplane to go to Finland and they were like yeah the the airport staff are being treated poorly whatever but like the part of the TikTok video that got played was merely like just some rich dude uh, who I think he's an NHL like hockey player was just like angry that like he was delayed at the airport and made a huge viral TikTok about it and like I just don't care I just <laughs> but apparently Ezra thinks the power of this TikTok just swayed so much public opinion that that was the thing that like pushed Trudeau over the edge and had him get rid of the mandate. Oh, it's possible. Look, let me ask you a question because I I don't know the answer to this. Rebel News, I'm assuming, does not have a TikTok. No, they do. They do. They they got one. Uh, like within uh, please, the last please, year. Please tell me. Please tell me that there are some videos of Ezra Levant like like doing a dance and he like gestures at like words written on the screen. So sadly, it's it's mostly run, I believe, by Anat and Cat, who are like the two young uh, female reporters for for Rebel News, and, and they have their own like. I guess they do like a weekly show that's more of like a gossip show because we're a bunch of gals on Rebel News and most of the gossip is like transphobia. So uh, that that's kind of, they're the ones who do the TikTok, obviously. Like really, though, I mean, how much money would you pay for a video of like Ezra dancing like the Macarena and he gestures his hands and then text appears saying like, you know, uh, you know, trans women are ruining sports or something like that. You don't, I don't want to know. I, I... <laughs> get enough Ezra as is. I don't know if I want to see him trying to be lovable on TikTok. I mean, he's recently grown the most like ugliest beard ever. Uh, that looks like it's he's got like a face. Ted Cruz level beard now, doesn't it? It's he? very Ted Cruz esque, one hundred percent. So you know, I see enough of that. I don't need to see him trying to be friendly on camera. I can't even like, yeah, I don't know. That would just burn holes into my soul. So. <laughs> We get to the interview segment of the this show, and it, it is it, it sort of like an extension about the airport talk, but it's an interview with a guy named Keith Wilson, who is a lawyer for the JCCF, which, which is the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom. There are frequent guests on Rebel News, and again, their founder was uh, kicked off of a case after he was stalking the judge during... Uh, uh, <laughs> trying to defend a client for uh, disobeying COVID restrictions. They thought they could catch the judge in a gotcha and stalked uh, the judge. So, Very normal move. Totally normal. And uh, totally means... Who among us has not stalked a judge at some point? And it hasn't stopped the right-wing people from still like working with them as a law firm. Well, I don't even know if you could call them a law firm. Yet they're all lawyers and they're constantly fighting for right-wing causes. Like any case that has to do with like trans people, like they're fighting against the trans people, JCCF is there. And any case that has to do with COVID, uh, like disobeying mandates, they're there to help as well. So great people at the JCCF. I think Lindsay Shepard is still on their staff as well. So they're, they're tons of fun at the JCCF. 
Now they're working with Brian Peckford, who's the pre, who was the premier of Newfoundland back when the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was signed. So like, he's this old dude who uh, they keep trotting around for these like anti-COVID stuff because he's like the Charter would have never been. I would have never said yes to the Charter if they were going to use it this way. So <laughs> this is the Canadian version of originalism. Like rather than yeah. saying like, oh, what would these founders have thought? Like you you drag this mummy out and yeah, ask he him. is the founder. <laughs> Yeah. We put him in a time capsule and pulled him out for this purpose. I mean, all the other people who signed the document are dead, so they can't speak to it. But we have Brian Peckford is still around and can give us his thoughts. Canada famous for its political necromancy. Yeah. yeah. So he, <laughs> he, uh, I guess the, the government petitioned them to stop their lawsuit because they're, they're currently have litigation involving the vaccine mandate on airplanes. And because the government has gotten rid of it, they sort of petitioned to just get rid of this case. It's no longer applicable. And Keith Wilson said they're still going to fight it, I guess, because they still think there's like a principle here. There's the charter challenge or whatever. So uh, I don't know if they're going to succeed on that or or whether it's going to go any further than that. But that's that's mostly what the talk is about. Although Keith makes some claim that like one of the only groups still mandated by the vaccine are the truckers. And the explanation given, according to Keith, both Keith and Ezra, is that Trudeau is doing this specifically to spite the truckers because of what happened in Ottawa. And the thing is, I, I can't find much on this. I still think there, there is like some sort of mandate in place, but it still seems to me that part of this has to do with the border, which involves the U.S. So it's not strictly a Canadian thing. No, and I think the much more reasonable explanation is that all policy is dictated by fiat from Trudeau himself, and he just decides who he doesn't like sometimes. That's clearly how government works. You're right. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Keith also blames the lineups at the airport on staff shortages that were caused by the vaccine mandates. So according to Keith, all the staff had to uh, get vaccinated as well, and because they didn't want to get vaccinated... En masse, all the staff just quit at like all the airports, and that's why our airports suck right now. And that all you know, shocking Tim, it's not true. I was gonna say that's that <laughs> sounds like an empirical claim that you could simply find out if that's true or not. Well, we do know that uh, Air Canada, along with other uh companies, laid off a ton of people back in 2020 because of the pandemic, and they've been slow to hire them back on which has caused these sort of like backlogs. So if you want to say what is more like, and so this was way prior to a vaccine. <laughs> these people were let go long before there was a vaccine. Now, I would say that there's a problem here, which you would think that maybe they shouldn't have been laid off. Maybe the, like there could have been some way to keep them on the payroll so that you can get them back on the job once like business starts going back up again, or some things that the government could have done to implement a better strategy here. And maybe that's the thing you should be attacking. But instead, what it is, is it's those poor vaccine mandates in the first place, even though there's no evidence that they were the reason why all these staff left. Well, as we know, uh, you know, workers who have been laid off, uh, you know, due to a kind of drying up of business at their job, um, you know, they, they would just hang around indefinitely not being paid were it not for the vaccine mandates. True. <laughs> we did. Here's, I got a question for you. So like when they were, when they were pitching the vaccines, so, you know, we had vaccines coming up. Did you ever at any point get the impression 
that these vaccines were going to be one-shot vaccines, like the polio vaccine or anything like this? Not once, no. I mean, because as, as soon as they started introducing the idea that, oh, these vaccines are, are, are in development, they're being tested right now, one of the first things they were sort of saying is that, like, oh, it has to go in kind of waves. You know, it, it'll probably be at least two injections, and you go from there. And someone who was tapped into this, there was constant talk about uh, the need for boosters or whether or not this was going to be, like, the flu shot or all of this. I remember being shocked when Johnson & Johnson said, they're like, oh, ours is a single shot one, like, for the initial dose on this. It's like, oh, that's the opposite of what we've all been trained to expect on this. <laughs> well, now let's hear what Keith thinks. You know, initially, we were all sold this bill of goods that it would be like a normal vaccine as opposed to a preventative treatment. And by taking the vaccine, like when you took the polio vaccine, you wouldn't get polio. When you took, you know, the pneumonia vaccine, you wouldn't get pneumonia. If you took the herpes vaccine or, or shingles vaccine, you wouldn't get shingles. Um, and we all now realize that's not the case at all. And we all are used to this, you know, oh, I've been diagnosed with, uh, with uh, COVID. Uh, I'm recovering at home. I'm sure glad I'm vaccinated. Yeah. Well, yeah. it didn't stop you from getting it or spreading it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm hoping enough Canadians have said, wait a minute, this just doesn't seem right. I just don't understand where this comes from. Like the most common vaccine you hear getting talked about any given year is the flu vaccine. It's just like that. It doesn't necessarily stop you from contracting the flu. It, it lets you have a better time of it when you do. It's weird, too, the framing of normal. Like, if, if anything, like, I mean, the normality is boosters. You get boosters for all kinds, like, for meningitis. Like, there's boosters for all kinds of uh, viruses. So it's like, yeah. I mean, just because those are, like, way more spaced out. Like, you get one, like, and then five years later, you get the next, right? Or tetanus. Like, there's so many that, like, it's, very, like, it's spaced out. So, like, it gives you the impression that it's not as frequent. But, like, the flu shot is all the fuck, like, every year. So it's like you, if anything, that should be the norm, right? <laughs> that should be what's normal. I don't know who all these people are like, like, oh yeah, by the way, the norm is like the smallpox vaccine. That you got once when you were a fucking baby, like, or not at all now because we don't need to. Yeah, exactly. Now we got the monkeypox on our tails, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, and there's so much, I mean, like, we don't have to get, because everyone probably already knows, but the whole, like, you know, of course, no vaccine is 100%. And, of, like, of course, like, tons of, you could still spread it if you get it, uh, if you have the flu, but you get vaccinated, that can still happen, too, because it doesn't cover every strain, and, like, some strains it's more or less effective against, and, like, nothing is absolute in science. It never has been. So it's just, like, amazing to me what they think the normal part of this is, and they're just completely wrong about all of it. Let me give a testimonial on this. Uh, you know, I got the flu vaccine this year. I also caught the flu this past week, and I only had one bad day because of that, because I was vaccinated, as contrasted with uh, my cousin, who also got the flu uh, seemingly at, at the same time and has been wiped out for over a week. That's, that's the difference. Get the flu vaccine. And, like, you never know. Like, when I got COVID, I felt really shitty. And there was, like, there was like one moment where I was scared and, like, thought, like, maybe I have to go to the hospital. One, it was very brief. But there was a moment and I'm thinking like, I don't know if like maybe if I wasn't vaccinated and that one scare could have been the point where like it was trending towards something much worse and then I would have had to go to the hospital, you know, uh, but I didn't. So it's like and, and you know, for my individual case, you could never know, like, was it the vaccine that like mitigated this or, or not? But like overall, you can look at how many people go to the hospital versus not with the vaccine. And it's pretty obvious what is effective here. <laughs> 
It's almost like that's what the medical statistics are for. Oh my god. It's just amazing that they keep saying this shit over and over again. So we got one last segment before we get into the the fun zone, as I will call it. (laughs) Uh, Which is, again, so Ezra gets to the mailbag segment, and he gets a question about the conspiracy episode that we had the day before. So we get one more brief foray into the conspiracy stuff. So I'm just going to play Ezra reading the mail and addressing the question. Referring to the polling by Abacus Data, Ardentes Fortuna Luvat says the fact that these are the questions posed proves their validity. Yeah, you always have to be careful when you look at questions. Now, I am interested in this issue, in who trusts what, and do people know about the World Economic Forum? That's a pretty obscure thing. And if 20% of Canadians know about it, that is sort of impressive. Now, maybe people were just saying they knew because no one wants to sound dumb if you're asked a question and haven't heard of it. It also, though, tells me what is in the mind of the Liberal Party. This abacus data is a good, uh, I don't know, proxy for what the brain trust and Trudeau's campaign is about. Yes, I think there were definitely flaws with the questions. I mean, whether or not the World Economic Forum has a strategy to conquer the world is sort of obvious. They do. Uh, I think the real question is, are they succeeding? Can they do it? Um, not do they want to. Of course they want to. They say that. So I think the questions were a little bit flawed, but still, it was useful, I think, uh, to go through them. So nowhere in any of the questions in the day before did they talk about a strategy to conquer the world. Of course not. And yet it's obvious that they do have a strategy to conquer the world. In fact, they announce it publicly, which means, again, we're in the planning stage of this, right? (laughs) Well, think about this logically, Jody. Like, if the questions were about conspiracy theories and therefore implied to be false, the fact that the questions don't mention that the World Economic Forum wants to conquer the world means that that's not a conspiracy theory. It's true. You just blew my mind. <laughs> oh, wait, can we go back for a second here? Like, what a weird pivot Ezra goes on relative to the, the, the actual mailbag, which was like, uh, you know, the fact that they asked these questions proves their validity. <laughs> The validity of them as polling questions, the validity of the conspiracy theories as being real. Like, what what is the mailbag trying to say here? Yeah, it would be like the government specifically knew, like, the, uh, let's put in the real questions just just to blow their mind. And get, like, what like what is what does this mailbag person think? <laughs> think the government is doing here? I don't get it. Like, again, this is this is what Ezra was saying before about gaslighting. It's like the equivalent of like the, the the government being like, "Oh, how many people believe this false conspiracy theory? The sky is blue," and like you know, people are reading yeah. it, going, "What? Yeah. I believe that." <laughs> Abacus, you did it again. <sighs> yeah, I just they played oh. us for fools. This, uh, it's just amazing. The whole thing is amazing. I like it's it's just so weird. It's like just admit you're a conspiracy theorist. I don't get like why you have to like like it's like they're aware that it's it is a slur. Like you know, it's like calling these people like you know people who are credulous, and so they don't like that. And they but so they have to sort of justify it to themselves. But in the process of justifying it, they sound even like sillier. You know. Well, do you know what it's exactly like? It's like how you've pointed out before that when talking about, uh, you know, COVID procedures, Ezra will not say, I am anti-scientific consensus. He will say, no, the entire slice of the scientific consensus that agrees with government authorities, uh, they're, they're just wrong. Like, they're just parodying what they're being told to say. So I can only sample from the people who disagree with them. That's the scientific consensus. And ergo, we are the scientifically informed ones. 
Yeah. I, again, like that's just you're using an exclusion criteria to be like, well, take out the real thing, leave the wacko stuff. And these people are anti-science because they don't believe the wackos. Yeah. <laughs> and we're the ones on the right track. We figured it out. But again, like, uh, the, the only value of doing it that way is the connotation. It has a, a hegemonic value to say that, oh, we have scientific authority behind us. So Ezra has to find a way to say, yeah. no, scientific authority backs what I think and not what the vast majority of scientists say. No, because they realize there's no cash in saying, like, uh, uh, there is no scientific authority. Like, th they need to have the veneer of scientific authority, even though, like, they never actually support that scientific authority in any way. They just assert what they're saying is the scientific authority and then like move on. Or they cherry pick a select few people with like vague qualifications to say, ah, if we could trust, th we could trust this person who's been like kicked out of the medical field for fraud. We could trust, <laughs> we could trust what they have to say. Well, that just means they were walking the boat too much. That's how you know. Yeah, because yeah, the establishment, they kicked him out for fraud because the establishment knew he was getting too close to the truth. Which again, that's just the inverted epistemology. If you take for granted that the powers that be must be wrong, anyone uh, you know, who is being discredited by them, that's actually a badge of honor. That's how you know you can trust them. We now get to June 15th, and David Menzies is guest hosting. And the first little bit it is weird but worth going through before we get to the interview segment, which is, again, where the fun starts. Uh, but David Menzies wants to tell the story about this Kawartha Dairy uh, Farm, which is like an ice cream place in Canada. And apparently one of the employees had a flag on the back of their truck parked out, from what I understand, from their telling and trying to piece this together, uh, had a truck parked out in front of the, the store that they worked that had a, a we are the fringe minority flag, which is one of the flags that came out of the truck convoy because Trudeau called them a fringe minority. So much like uh, when Clinton called Trump supporters deplorables, they've embraced this fringe minority thing and are, are sort of like wearing it as a, as a badge of pride or whatever. Well, one of the funniest things that right-wing people do, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess somebody complained. And as a response, Kawartha Dairy Products or whatever put out a sort of like policy saying that people can't, employees can't like park cars even with like Canadian flags on it. And Menzies like flips out about all of this and being like, oh my God, the Canadian flag is so good. And uh, his main argument, like he's like, how would anyone think this is bad? Now, Kawartha then reinstated allowing their, their people to fly the Canadian flag, but they also stipulated that, like, because of what happened with the convoy and what is going on with indigenous communities in Canada, the flag is getting a connotation that's negative and associated with far-right and fascist movements, and therefore, like, uh, that is the reason we did it, but we're walking it back because obviously they were getting pushback from the public who were like, what, do you hate the Canadian flag? And so, yes. yeah, well, I mean, like, yes, I do. But like, it is amazing. Like, I, I call them flag sexuals because like these people are just so friggin like into flags that it just blows my mind. <laughs> so Look, can I just say, like, I, I sometimes refer to Australia as being like bizarro world Canada, you know, like it, it, it's, it's cold. It's, sorry, it's hot instead yeah. of cold. And, like, it's on the other side of the world, but everything else is the same. Um, we have the exact same thing here. Like if you see someone's like car, has an Australian flag on it. You instantly know 
this is the worst kind of person, and they're definitely a racist. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you could you could almost do the exact same thing uh, here. You know, uh, one for one. Like I, I I wouldn't. And in fact, like the next story that Menzies gets into directly like uh, presents evidence for what what you just said. So the next story is there was this school where I guess from what I gather again through how they sort of like pitch this story is that there was this field trip that the children were going to go on that involved going to like a company that manufactures the flags. Now they had it where like, I guess a permission slip that the parents could like check or not saying whether or not the kids would like to take home a Canadian flag. Now, some people reacted to this, even the mere act of giving them a permission slip as a slight to the Canadian flag, because you should have just given those fucking kids a flag. <laughs> how dare, how dare you even think that no one would want this flag? You better just give it directly to that kid. The flag is sacred. How dare you? The very idea that you would not want a flag is, is just urinating on the graves of our veterans. True. And so David Menzies, incensed, decides to call the school. So we are going to play the clip of David Menzies calling the school. Yes, good morning. Can I speak to uh, Jennifer Fisher, please? She's in a meeting at the moment. Can I take a message? Oh, sure. Um, my name is uh, David Menzies, and I'm with uh, Rebel News in Toronto. And I'm just calling her about this uh, Canada flag permission form. Oh, okay. You can um, you can call the board office in regards to it. Oh, was this a board decision? Well, no, it was from her, but she's not taking the call. Oh, that's interesting. Why would she put out a permission form, uh, but... I would have to direct my calls to the board that had nothing to do with this. I don't know. <laughs> do you... I've just been getting a lot of calls and a lot of angry people and yelling at me. And Oh, no, I'm not going to yell at you, ma'am. No, no, I, I, I know. I, I, know, I, can, I, already know. Tell, I can already <laughs> tell you're not going to yell because you're very calm. But believe me, the amount of calls that I have taken and the amount of angry citizens that are out there and the yelling and the swearing that I'm hearing from the other end is I just am tired of taking them. So I'm just going to direct them to the board office now. You, you know what? I'm very sorry you're getting verbally abused. I know it's not your decision, so... Uh, no, you no, know. I had... That's the thing. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, but <laughs> do, you, do you know why the permission is being asked in the first place? I mean... It, I do not understand that. I don't. Okay, yeah. I, I, and so, I guess, because of the amount of angry people, this is why uh, Miss Fisher isn't taking calls on this issue, or...? I'm going to assume that's the reason why. So, I, like I said, um, she's also said you can voice your concerns at the uh, our website, centralnps at ddsb.ca. Wow. You know, I suspect Principal Fisher is not in a meeting, but rather she's curled up in the fetal position in the staff lounge these days. It's amazing for him. Like, he got sort of like information that these people were being verbally harassed by flag sexuals that just flew in a rage because they didn't get to, like, have their flags sexually gratified in the way that they wanted them to. And so that therefore, like... He he gets he gets the information that these people were verbally abusing these people and then is like mocking the person for like not liking the verbal harassment they were obviously getting. Like dear lord. Look, I I know that like the the, the liberal hypocrisy gotcha, it, it's a it's a dead art form, like whatever. But I, I just want to emphasize 
Isn't right-wing media constantly harping on the idea that schools shouldn't do anything without explicitly asking the permission of parents as to whether they want their children exposed to something? But here it's like, oh, uh, do you want your child to bring home a flag that if you don't want it, you then have to like throw in the garbage or something like this? And it's like, no, you shouldn't even ask the question. Flags are an inherent good. You know, you're, 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 you're insulting the flag if you're not placing it in the hand of a small child. That's what I'm telling you. They could have sex with the flags in the classroom and that would be allowed because the flags are like the desired object. <laughs> just... <laughs> That's the only sexual act that could be done in schools is with the flag. That's... <laughs> I know that you're, you're going for like hyperbole here to a certain extent, but like, let's not forget there was that great, uh, that great CPAC where like Donald Trump comes out and just cartoonishly hugs the American flag and everyone's like, yeah! Yeah, like they, oh, do you think, they would have been chanting if he actually like whipped it out and started going at the flag. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, USA! It's, it is like, yeah, like the right wing's obsession with flags is just fucking bizarre to me. Just so bizarre. Think about it again. What are they angry? They they were so whipped up into a fury that they called into this poor school, yelled at the receptionist that had nothing to do with this, all because of a, a permission box. Just the fact that the question was asked, the insinuation that maybe someone didn't want to flag. How dare you, sir? Dear Lord. <laughs> you can't win either way, because what if the alternative was like, no, you have to take the flag home, but just drop it in the bin if you don't want that. You can't put a flag in the bin. Well, the funny thing is, the, the response that the principal made public at like after David Metzies called and all this was that she said there was two reasons for why they didn't do it. The first was they or the the reason why they had the, the box. The first was that they didn't want people to bring a flag home to a house where they already had a flag and didn't need another one and were just contributing to waste just seemed a little bit silly. There's no such thing as too many flags. No, exactly. You have, The whole house has to be just a flag at some point. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sheets do, like everything has to be uh canadian flags and then the other reason was because like not everyone wants a flag including indigenous students that have already like discussed such issues so it's like both of these reasons seem pretty good reasons for having a box suggesting whether you want to keep a flag or not of all the things to get you know read and nude online about but yeah to to verbally like abuse someone on the phone about that's that's the reason we now get to <laughs> i i don't even know how to begin this segment this is <laughs> we get somebody on okay ezra interviews a guy named nikki baloo have you ever heard of nikki baloo uh no i've heard of baloo the bear the character from the jungle book no relation i'm assuming no uh not that i'm aware of <laughs> Uh, so Nikki Ballou, according to his biography, it says that he is an entrepreneur who's worked with Olympic gold medal athletes like Canadian track and field gold medalist Donovan Bailey. And the thing is, like, I can't find any evidence or like, even it's saying that it just has worked with like, I, like, what is working with? the athlete mean like because like he doesn't have any like athletic qualifications so i'm like this is just weird to to say now on his linkedin profile it seems like he's some kind of life coach and sort of like in the conversation that we get to here uh he's gonna mention some aspects of his work as well so he's he's a life coach of some kind and he has his own like entrepreneur podcast like this is kind of what he does and his only education 
uh, background, at least listed on his LinkedIn, is that he has a Master of Neurolinguistic Programming. Ah, that very real discipline. True. <laughs> and so I already knew that NLP was a pseudoscience, but I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> this person promotes that he's, he's an NLP practitioner. Uh, I guess like, do you have, would you be able to give a brief explanation of what NLP is? I can tell you what it isn't, which is a real thing. Like the, the, the purported notion is that, uh, you know, neuro-linguistic programming is based off a kind of like radical uh, Shapir-Whorf sort of thing, which is like, oh, by, by making certain uh, verbal suggestions to people, you can, uh, you know, change their thought patterns and the underlying language of their thought to, to influence them, to do a kind of almost mild hypnosis and, uh, and, and you know, change their, their thought patterns and things like this. Is any of this real? Is any of this empirically backed? No, it is the opposite. It definitely doesn't work and is a kind of flim-flam nonsense that you sell to people who, you know, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of uh, adjacent to pickup artistry almost well i mean and it's promoted by a lot of people that uh people in our audience probably know so like gary v is probably one of the modern days sort of like people who does this stuff uh tony robbins was like a big proponent of nlp back in the day who was another like self-help guru guy who also has a lot of uh you know uh th there was a uh, he got me too'd pretty hard i guess is what i'm trying to say uh <laughs> so like and like a lot of these people, they're they're like creepy, and they're the they try to promote this idea to like sales, uh, sales things, and they're always involved in like either crypto scams or like MLM scams or, <laughs> or any of these sort of like scammy scam stuff that people get involved with. So, what is it about scummy people that that draws them towards a, a fictional form of brainwashing? I, I just don't understand it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and so like I don't know if Nikki Baloo himself has run a scam, so I'm not saying anything directly, but uh, it's just more of of like, well, hey, he he likes the thing that the scammy people like, and isn't that interesting? So we'll we'll leave it at that, and uh, go on. So why why? Well poisoned. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so now my interest is peaked, and I'm like, why is this guy being interviewed by David Menzies on the Rebel News podcast? And uh, it turns out that he wrote a book, or co-wrote a book, and we'll get to the co-author in a second. But as described by Nikki, the book is supposed to be like Saul Alinsky's Rule for Radicals, and that it's going to be like that, but for the right wing, as he put it. And the book is titled The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book, the priceless list for conservatives, Christians, patriots, and 80-plus million Trump warriors to cancel cancel culture and save America. So I'm assuming most of the length of the book is just that title, right? <laughs> That's a long title. It's, it's a long title. I, I love Trump warrior. You can't just say Trump supporter. They gotta be fucking warriors for Trump. <laughs> So I'm just like this. This is gold already. What the? What are we getting into? And uh, well, you don't really support Trump unless you're willing to throw down for your special boy. I also love like in the title it says the priceless list, and I'm like, what is priceless about this? They're selling the book for fifteen sixty six on Amazon. <laughs> you have... It's like priceless, like a mother's love, or the good kind of priceless. <laughs> don't understand this. So I'm like, that's kind of scammy. You call it a priceless list, and then you, you sell it on uh, 
on Amazon. So I, I do want to do this for you, though. I'm going to send you a link right now, okay? This is the link to the Amazon for the book page. Now, when you click the, it says see all images, I want you to click the page that would be the back page of the book, all right? I'm doing it. And then I want you to read the back of the book. <laughs> Are you a conservative patriot? Do you love America? Do you support capitalism? Are you frustrated at the direction of this country? Do you fear for the future of your children and or grandchildren? Do you believe in Judeo-Christian values? Do you see America under attack? Does this seem like a socialist slash Marxist slash communist takeover? Do you see and feel evil all around us? If your answer is yes to any of these questions, this book is for you. We've just given you the keys to the kingdom. We just made it simple and easy for conservatives, Christians, and patriots, and 80-plus million Trump's voters to protest and boycott the companies that offend us, denigrate us, ignore us, and spit in our faces. We must become the loud majority. It's time to make deafening noise. Money talks. If companies go woke, teach them they will go broke. <laughs> Can I just say, like, for anyone who obviously is just listening to this and not seeing the text there, if it seemed like I was changing the cadence of my reading there, it's because it's like a like like an old like Frank Miller comic where like some words are just in full capitalization for seemingly no reason, and you have to like put emphasis on them. But yeah, yeah, no, they were trying to stress the point. <laughs> I uh, and like the whole, it's like decked out in like you know the stars, uh, stars and stripes. <laughs> Very large-faced men, like, lifting up a fist, like, yeah! So th that large-fisted man is the main author of the book. Now, some people in our audience might know who this is. I knew who this guy was uh, right away, but some of you might not know. The guy's name is Wayne Allen Root. So he is the main author. And Wayne Allen Root is, like, an old-school, far-right conspiracy theorist. He, he was one of the like main proponents against the Barack Obama is not a real American citizen types, was friends with Trump going way back because of all that. Uh, he believed that, of course, Obama was a secret Marxist Muslim trying to infiltrate the American government. He, uh, <laughs> he also believed that the DNC was involved in the killing of Seth Rich and all those conspiracy theories. He has some like more far out there conspiracy theorists. Uh, our theories, like he thinks that Heather Heyer, the woman who was murdered at Unite the Right, uh, he thinks that uh, the person who drove the car was really like a paid actor by George Soros and not a, a real white nationalist. He believes the person who did the Vegas shooting was a, a secret Muslim extremist or like was a Muslim extremist that then they tried to paint as not a Muslim extremist. Uh He's also, so the other weird things about him is he's currently facing a bunch of like legal challenges because he was selling uh, sil colloidal silver as a cure for uh, COVID. Yep, all through the pandemic. And he, I think he's still doing it somewhat. It's kind of vague. I, I don't follow the guy, but like some reports were saying he's still doing it. So he's he's doing the, that kind of litigation. And also I found it interesting because on uh, his Wikipedia page, at least, it says that he was... A, a part of the board for a company called Wealth Masters International. And Wealth Masters International was legally designated as a pyramid scheme by the Norwegian government. <laughs> Good to know. The way you're saying is that Nikki Baloo keeps excellent company, is what you're saying. <laughs> Nikki Baloo and Wayne Allen Root are just 
you know, peas in a pod. <laughs> and they wrote such a beautiful, great book for patriots. And uh, he's on to tell David Menzies about why you should boycott certain companies because we're going to cancel the cancel culture. One other thing I want to say, because again, like this is mostly going out to people in audio format here. Like, folks, you got to look up this book and look at its cover because it's like um, at the end of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and you're reading like the contract and the text gets like smaller and smaller and smaller. That's what the title of this book looks like. It's giant letters and they shrink and shrink and shrink until you need like a giant magnifying glass to read the bottom of it. I do love that on the cover, they have like a gold star that looks like you you've won an award. But all it says on the, like, what would be the award is, like, boycott 100-plus companies or something. Because <laughs> I was like, did they win an award? And then I, like, zoomed in. And I'm like, no, it's just telling you that there's there's 100 companies in here you can boycott. Okay. <laughs> Neuro-linguistic programming. <laughs> They're trying to manipulate us. Again, that's the power of suggestion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. We fell for the hypnosis. Uh, the the stealth the stealth move on the uh, cover with putting a an award there, yes he's I I just want to like frame up front too about this whole like canceling the cancel culture is so funny because there's so like most of the like the things they try to pitch about why cancel culture is bad is because like we shouldn't be silencing anyone and we should have free reign to like so it's like weird coming out strong being like no we want to cancel cancel culture which is like them being like. We also want to do some canceling. We are free speech absolutists. No one should silence anybody else, which is why we are silencing these people. Right. Yeah, it's fucked up. So <laughs> now with all that out of the way, of course, the biggest problem in the world today is trans people. And so Nikki Ballou and David start talking about Disney and how people are leaving the company in droves because they support uh, LGBT causes. Now, they don't get explicit in this story, but I'm, I'm guessing they're referring to the one incident, which is that Disney Resorts decided to call uh, their patrons friends rather than like princesses and princes or ladies and gentlemen or whatever. So they refer to people as friends now to be inclusive. And that means that they're like indoctrinating our kids and forcing hormone therapies on them. Well, no, because again, Jody, think about it carefully. These people believe in neuro-linguistic programming. So if you refer to people with inclusive pronouns, you're actually erasing their gender from their minds. It's actually the fact that we call uh, little boys and girls uh, princes and princesses. That's the only thing that's keeping gender going, buddy. You know, there's an element of that which is true, which is like, but like, why do we need to keep it going? Let's just let's end this charade immediately. Well, yeah, that, that's not a beautiful, like, right-wing uh, uh, contradiction, right? It's like, no, gender is essential and immutable, but if we don't keep reinforcing it at every corner, it'll break down instantly. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fucking brilliant. That, I mean, that is true. It's like, if we let our guard down for one second and allow people to, like, defy the gender binary then like all chaos will reign, you know? Cause the, the binary is so fragile. <laughs> Menzies then asks Nikki why the companies would do this if it's hurting them, right? So the premise, this is the get woke, go broke premise. So the question is, is like, why would Disney go woke if it's leaving them broke? Now, spoiler alert, Disney's not going broke. Disney's doing very well in fact. <laughs> 
But uh, Nikki has a response to uh, Menzi's question. They're just scared. They're plain afraid of being targeted by folks. They're, they don't believe in standing up for themselves. And that's just a shame because, you know, a lot of corporations go out there and they give everybody this great big song and dance that they stand for things, that they believe in things, and it doesn't matter if it costs them money. Well, that's really not true because they're bending the knee to people because they're afraid. They're not standing up for the values that they truly maybe privately even believe in, but they think they need to stand up for these values that they don't really buy into. Now, yeah, there are a lot of younger executives that buy into some of this uh, woke ideology, but I believe that number isn't as big as you think. I do want to say, like, there's a part of what he's saying there that's true. Yeah, can I just say, like, yeah, if we're being charitable, if, if the thesis that he is trying to forward is that the companies don't really support work values at all, they're just trying to, to bow to what they think is the prevailing public winds of this in a cynical attempt to, to maximize their profit margins, I 100% agree. But he doesn't agree with the second part of what you said, right? Yeah, he thinks this is costing them money somehow instead of just maximizing a, a kind of broad public appeal. R right, but he... he he thinks it's costing them money because it's actually not the broad company or it's not the broad public appeal because he wants to say like part of the argument here is that most of the public is against this stuff. So they're actually leaving Disney and it's hurting them in that like the only reason they're taking the loss is because they're afraid of the small minority of leftist radicals that are forcing them to do this. We're that powerful, Jody. Yeah. We're that powerful. <laughs> Where, like, as you put it, which is my point, it's like, of course they're doing this cynically. Like, I'm sure there's people, because uh, in Disney as well, I think some of the people higher up are uh, somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum. And so there are uh, people within the company that probably support these causes, no doubt. But overall, the company is doing it, I think, largely for cynical reasons, because I hate to break it to you. I think the LGBTQ acceptance is growing. Uh, I think largely in the popular, uh, you know, uh, consciousness or mindset or whatever I'm trying to look for here. Uh, I think most people are starting to come around on LGBTQ issues. It is the zeitgeist these days, or as we English speakers like to say, the time ghost. That is, is that the literal translation of zeitgeist? Yeah, yeah because like, you, you, if you're being artful about it, you're saying like, oh, it's the spirit of the time. But zeitgeist is just time ghost. I like that better. <laughs> it's the time ghost. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Nikki then, so we got this description of Disney and how Disney is failing. Now we're going to get the, the sort of like the reverse, which is that Netflix is bucking the trends and being like, no, we will allow transphobic content. And because of that, they're doing, they're doing something. We'll get to it. <laughs> are we just, are we hundred percent sure this guy doesn't just have like an upside down monitor? So he's like, he's looking at like the stock trends for Disney. He's like, oh, it's going way down. And Netflix is going way up. Like maybe this is an innocent misunderstanding. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to cut these. Like, in fact, the next several clips that we're going to hear are literally like, he just said so much bullshit all, all in like one large setting. That, like I had to cut it up in chunks, but I'm not leaving out anything in these next few clips. So what we're going to hear in the next little bit is like five minutes of him just continuously talking that I'm going to chop up in segments so we could talk about it. Okay. But like, okay. so what we're going to hear here is like all he has to say about the Netflix thing. And then at the end, I will ask you, like, did he give any indication that Netflix has been helped <laughs> by, by promoting transphobic content? Right. So let's see if he even gets to that part of it. I will hold my comments to the end. Netflix basically 
said to their employees that we're going to be bringing in content from conservative and traditional voices. And a whole bunch of their employees just were up in arms and saying, oh, my God, you can't do this. You can't do this. Or I'm, I'm going to stop working here. Well, the head of content at Netflix sent out a very famous internal memo and said, hey, I appreciate. Thank you for sharing your views. And Netflix is committed to a diversity of voices in the content that we create. And if you can't abide by that, maybe this isn't the place for you to work any longer. And when he said that, Netflix, which had been losing subscribers at an alarming rate because of their insane commitment to some crazy programming, they had a program that was sexualizing 11-year-old girls. That is a terrible idea. A mm. terrible idea. You don't want to do this. This puts young girls at risk in a huge, huge way. We can't have that. And now it seems like they found their cojones and, you know, they are and their ovaries if they're female. Cojones for the men, ovaries for the females. And they've gone in there and said, nope, no more of that. And that has caused exactly what? Nothing. The employees that were up in arms have either resigned or they've shut up because they know that the corporation isn't really going to put up with this. If I may, Jody, uh, if we're tracking his claims about the success of Netflix, the business, it was um, Netflix's subscribers and like, you know, stock value was going down. Then they grew their cojones, made this bold choice to have bigoted content, dot, 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 yep. the end. Yeah. So, I mean, because like he can't, he can't follow it up with the, like now they're achieving monumental success because that because is actually the opposite of the truth. So it's like he just avoids mentioning. <laughs> Take the implication from this audience that you want to believe. Right. And like, to be honest, I don't think that Netflix is failing because of their airing of like this stuff. It largely has to do with like them, uh, being beat out by a lot of competition that's happening right now, along with many other issues that have to do with like the internal working of the company that's like having problems. Like there's tons of issues and partly their treatment of staff, which was like atrocious after what happened with Dave Chappelle. So it's like, there's a ton going on there that like doesn't directly address like the content that's on their platform. Also, can we address the, the most important issue here is that season two of The Witcher just wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying Stranger Things 4 right now. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and say, I, I like the Stranger Things series. So my, my, one, my one pro for Netflix. <laughs> uh, that being said, they are a shitty company. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But the other weird thing there is like the mention, like the vague like gesturing towards cuties, which I, I think is what he was getting at. But I do love the topical reference. We've been, it's still very contemporary. I watched cuties in order... Uh, to address Ezra talking about cuties on the show when this happened uh, several years ago. The movie wasn't as bad as people were making it out to be. And part of, again, part of the social critique was about the over-sexualization of children. Uh, and so, like, anyways, so the, the whole way that they sort of, like, pitch this is just, like, really ridiculous. Wait, wait, Jody, let, let's take a step back here. You mean to tell me that the film uh, Cuties wasn't about how the sexualization of young girls is good? No, in fact, I think it was worse than that. The, the message of the movie, which I didn't like in the end, was become a Gap commercial. That's what true womanhood is. <laughs> which is... Not... 
which is very neoliberal in a way, you know, like that, like be yourself is to like wear pants and a shirt being like overly sexy is bad. And being like uh, uh, told to to dress in Muslim attire is bad. What you need to do is dress like the gap. And to me, it's like that is a weird message to teach people, you know. Don't be pigeonholed into these definitions of femininity. Be pigeonholed into this specific definition <laughs> of femininity that we like. Which is the good femininity because it's not extreme, you know? It's the Aristotelian golden mean, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. Yes, it was it was the Aristotelian of like growing up as as a woman. the golden mean of that. Yeah, like it was it's just a silly little film. But like and you know, it had moments or whatever. But like it's weird to me that in him like talking about the movie, he has to like be really clear that listen, sexualizing young children is bad. Like he almost like who needs to know it the way that he's like, he's like, you really need to know. You really need to know that. But then it's also weird that this is the company that produced Cuties that he's acknowledging was bad. And then he's like, but they're good now because they want to promote transphobic material. Well, because Cuties was produced before they developed their cojones. There was nothing bold about the production of Cuties. That was actually a move of cowardice because you were just trying to appeal to all the pedophiles. He, so again, I told you, this is d directly after the clip that we just listened to. He goes on to say a bunch of incoherent shit that it's hard for me to like lead into it, but it all has to do with sort of like whether or not companies should have a political ideology. And he kind of like riffs on that a bit. One of the reasons we wrote this book is we don't want to encourage corporations, you know, to stay out of controversial issues, to stop putting their finger on the scale for either side. You're here to be in business. You're not here to support a particular ideology. Now, I appreciate that there are certain universal values that are good for every corporation to be in favor of, motherhood, apple pie, uh, clean air, clean water. I'm 100% on board with all those things because we can all agree on those. But there are many, many things that they're getting uh, involved in that we don't all agree on. And in fact, the vast majority of their customer base is diametrically opposed to. Look, look, near as I can tell, this is that classic move, which is that like, everything I agree with is not political. I don't have a political stance. I'm just a reasonable everyday person. And all of my beliefs are normal beliefs. Anything different from my beliefs, those are the political ones. And those are the ones that companies shouldn't have. Companies just shouldn't disagree with me, is what he's saying. Yeah, I mean, but even like the things he listed there, Clean air? I don't... <laughs> can, I, can I just say, oh, everyone agrees that we should have clean air, right? Uh, it's not like uh, a lot of the people who back Rebel News are, 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 fossil, are fossil fuel interests or anything like this, right? <laughs> what kind of lunatic doesn't want us to have clean air and safe environments, right? Only the people who are hosting me right now. Like, it's so, like, I, I love this idea, like, some sort of, like, you, a company can only do what is sort of like generally accepted how the fuck is that supposed to work like all the every company everywhere is constantly like testing the public to see whether like if i take this stance right now <laughs> the, the idea that a company is it's in it's in a company's best interest to constantly triangulate for what you think the largest member of the public is going to be responsive to that that's just what already happens 
That's in fact that's where all the LGBT acceptance comes from as well. Well, I mean, like that's like the assumption, which is like in order to get most uh, market inputs, you got to make a product that everyone wants. But then that is doesn't fully live up because then you have like niche companies that pitch like this podcast is <laughs> is a, a niche podcast, you know. But like or or that uh, that gun themed coffee company. <laughs> uh, so it's like yeah. Uh, I, I just like I, I'm sure a lot of companies out there really want to try to appeal to everyone, which is kind of like, again, what the companies are already doing in terms of making their material uh, open and accepting of LGBTQ people is like, oh, yeah, we want to appeal to the largest amount of people. And that includes people who are on that spectrum, you know, and or, or who fit under that umbrella. And so it's like it's, it's just obvious that that would happen. But like, of course, you can't do it because. There's some controversy, but like, what's what's the controversy? Like, if anything, it's like the controversy is being led by the minority here of like right wing evangelical fascists that don't like that we are, uh, you know, blurring their essential gender binary that was given to them by God. That is so fragile that it'll be immediately destroyed because we're we're saying what are we saying? We're saying friends instead of ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry, look, if you don't affirm my gender in every <laughs> sentence, I'm just going to forget what it is. Jody, quick, please remind me, how do I identify again? It's been too long. Too bad. This is, this is the chaos we now live in. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Peterson predicted this. Uh, the antidote is to fight the chaos dragon, and that is the only way that you, Tim, can be renormalized. Uh, sadly, you will, you will exist in this sort of, like, uh, nether space. Of, of not having an identity and you know i won't know how to refer to you and that's where we I'm are i'm becoming now. a postmodern neo-marxist <laughs> <laughs> so I, i'll just say content warning because this is where we get into the more i guess overt it's weird this is going to be transphobic but there's elements in here that are also like him being vaguely supportive in ways, but then also not being supportive. It's it, again, this character is all over the fucking place. But I will say this touches on issues of trans people and suicide, and there's going to be some misgendering and dead naming. However, I will, uh, if I remember when I'm editing, uh, blank out those instances when they occur. But uh, this is what is going to happen in this piece. So if that bothers you, feel free to skip ahead a bit. But uh, we are going to play it because. Again, this is a wild ride. This is, I'm curious to think what you feel. Because uh, I, I, I didn't know how to think about it after uh, listening to this. Look, I have a ton of sympathy for somebody who's going through gender confusion. One of my best friends um, decided, you know, that he was not decided. That's not the right word to use. Let me just say this properly. Was confused about who he was. Was confused about his sexual identity, his gender identity. And he transitioned into a woman. He had the surgery, he did all that. And after living as a woman for 10 years, took, took her own life, took her own life, oh. you know? And this was a good person. I knew this person, you know what I mean? When I met, met the person and Julia later, and this confusion caused all kinds of angst for this individual. I got a ton of sympathy for this individual. I got a ton of sympathy for my friend and, and his family and, you know, the, his, his mother and father to see their own child commit suicide. That's absolutely awful. 
you know, and we need to, as a society, deal with people who are genuinely dealing with these types of issues with sensitivity, with compassion, with plenty of space to make up their own mind in their own way. What we don't need is some nut bar activist forcing a particular view down people's throats. So these folks are worse than the people that said, no, 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 this, this is not a thing at all, because those people that had no sensitivity for the real issues some people are going through, these people have no sensitivity or nuance for the fact that, that young people that are questioning their identity, questioning their gender, need to be given all the room in the world to come to their own decision, their own understanding. And pushing them in one way or another is terrible. Does he know what show he's on? The, the feeling of like a weird awareness and acceptance that goes beyond this show. Like it's still not good because he's still willing to dead name and misgender uh, the individual that he's talking about. But then like a weirdness to, to realize that these people are still deserving of sympathy and that the people who think that transness isn't real are bad. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, contrast this with 100% how trans issues are ever discussed by Ezra, which is it's dead naming all the time. This is ridiculous. This is mental illness, etc. And he, I was just saying, like, does he know what show he's on? He's on the show for the people who he says are, are like, near the top tier of how callous you can be about this. But then he goes immediately to saying that, like, there's this, like, cabal of left-wing people that are forcing their ideology down your throat. And then it's like, and, and how are they doing this? Again, the topic of conversation is the saying friends instead of ladies and gentlemen at Disney. Being inclusive or gender affirming, that's somehow even worse than telling people uh, that they're out of their minds. But he was just saying these people deserve compassion and sensitivity, which means that you should like, what exactly? Now, look, if I can make a quick aside here, Jody, you and I do not believe in free will. Am I correct? True. I mean, I did write my entire master's thesis on this. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we are of a mind about this. Now, yeah, or, or that is to say that we are causally determined in similar directions, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, <laughs> um, now, now that said, for people who do believe in free will, that, that seems to be what he is, is pinning this on here. It's that like, no, you, you can't support nor condemn trans people one way or another. They have to make up their own mind. They have to, you know, uh, divine out of the ether what their personal truth is. And if you say anything affirming or disconfirming to them, uh, you know, you've done something wrong. That, that's the only way I can imagine this guy is both sidesing the idea that it's bad to be mean to trans people, but it's also bad to be inclusive to trans people. I, I wonder if part of it, too, is just because this person is like based on the, the back of the book that we read, uh, Christian. And my guess is there's like an element of like hate the sin, not the sinner kind of like compassion going on here rather than like a direct compassion. Although, again, like him affirming that trans people are real is interesting because uh, that doesn't quite fit into that framework either. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to read this at all. Like, well, I don't know. In, in fairness, like the way that he describes it doesn't exclude the idea that he thinks it's, you know, a spiritual affliction or something like that. Yeah. Just the kind of thing that you got to give people space to work through. Not that it's not a problem, but that you got to be compassionate to people suffering from the problem. Yeah. But there is some sort of thing like we need to somehow if you let it run rampant in society that it's going to create more of it, which will then what lead to increases in suicide or something like I don't like, yeah, none of it like makes any sense, which is like at the base of it, which we should stipulate, which is obvious, which is like treat trans people as they want to be treated and they will be less likely to commit suicide. It's 
Yeah, exactly. Like, what what is causing the suicide here? It's not being trans. It's how hard you needlessly make it to be trans. That even like even someone as like weird, vaguely supportive as this person is was still willing to misgender and like dead name. You know what I mean? Where it's like you know like compassion uh, should manifest it differently than you're doing, my friend. It's, it's so weird because it seems like he just. He, he knew someone in his real life. He wants to be compassionate for, for what they went through. But at the same time, he, he lives in this culture war space of like, right, but like the affirming left have to be the bad guys in this. So how do, how do I spin that? How can both of these things be true at the same time? It's like he's trying to wrestle with his own cognitive dissonance of like, how do I, I, I still want to be on the right wing side of this, even though like I, because I had a close association with this person. And so he's, he's like trying his best to like protect his own ego, you know? And again, like, and, and, and Menzies is there just being like, yeah, just, just, just spitball it. We'll, we'll, we'll play whatever you say. Yeah, because <laughs> they don't care. They're like, they just let them, let them fucking talk is how it usually goes. It's the content. It's all about the content. So, again, we ended that part being the left is trying to slam it down your throats or whatever. And, of course, what is the company that's trying to slam it down your throats? Disney. Disney. Hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of stories, well, maybe not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds, thousands of stories of teenagers who felt pushed in a particular direction by activists to make a decision to go on puberty blockers, to have gender reassignment surgery, who now regret it. And I got to tell you, that's not right. You've got to give space for people, especially teenagers, to be able to understand that they're going through a time of confusion being a teenager period. And if this issue is particularly an issue that they're dealing with, they need to be dealt with with sensitivity. What they don't need is these crazy left-wing activists coming down and forcing them to do something that they'll regret later. And that we all got to take a stand against. That we all got to say is wrong and shouldn't happen. And we definitely, definitely need to say that, hey, sexualizing children, any child is wrong. Until a child is of age, 16, 17, 18 years old, these are not issues that adults should be forcing down their throats. And I'll, I'll die on that hill. You know what, as far as I'm concerned, Disney as a corporation has lost all my respect, all my trust. I won't be going to their theme parks because I was planning on doing that. I won't be going to watch their movies. I won't be supporting them. I definitely won't be investing in their corporation. And I'll be encouraging every person I know who's a parent to stop doing business with Disney until such time that Disney wakes up and says, hey, you know what? Maybe sexualizing kids isn't a good idea for a family-oriented company. We get we get no evidence that Disney is in fact sexualizing kids. That <laughs> Absolutely not, no. Look, can I just say, one of the first things he said is like he kind of made the case and he said, that's not right. I agree with him, but I agree with him that it's not right factually, anything that he's saying. He, he seems to think that it is true, but is morally wrong. Uh, he, he, none of the things he's describing are happening. No, they're not. I mean, like, again, the only thing I can think of is this is the saying friends instead of, <laughs> instead of ladies and gentlemen. That's the sexualizing of kids. Otherwise, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Unless he's talking about the Little Mermaid having cleavage or something. You know, that was that was when they were sexualizing kids. But yeah, I, I just want to say, like, 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 if you really want to lean on this, and like, it's the most obvious direction to go on this, but like, Disney does sexualize children all the time, like exposes them to sexualized concepts. Very, very heterosexual ones and heteronormative ones. There's tons of just, uh, you know, fated soulmate, uh, you know, man-woman romance stuff in tons of Disney material. It's actually the more recent Disney material that people complain about the most that has the fewest heteronormative uh, true love conquers all sort of elements. 
But it's like him that's saying, like, what, you're not supposed to learn about sexuality till you're 16, 17, 18? What the hell is he talking about? Like, what? Could you imagine? I was, you know, spoiler, I was having sex before I was 16, okay? Do you, like, oh, look at the just, braggart here. Not to brag, but just, like, imagine, like, throwing me in that situation at that age without ever once educating me up to that point, and then just being like, have at her. Like, what is he talking about? That is that is so stupid and and like worse. That'll have worse effects on society. This is this is the testimonial that we're getting out of Jody here. It's like, look, before I was 16, I was laying pipe and I knew what I was doing because <laughs> Disney instructed me. That's that's the way it could be. Well, that's the thing. We we had sex ed in Canada. I mean, especially like like uh I think there was a recent controversy because the uh previous provincial liberal government wanted to introduce sexual education types of sexual education at a younger age of course this is more like labeling body parts as opposed to like anything that directly has to do with sex but uh, the conservative government like lost their minds over this right now we still had sexual education up to the point where like i think i first started being uh, taught sexual education like maybe around like grade five or grade six uh so like you still get it pretty young but it's like yeah, those were, were good. I mean, like you learn, I mean, especially if your parents aren't going to teach you or you're not, you're not clearly not going to learn them from Disney films, even though they think that Disney is doing it. You want someone to teach you about this stuff. So for one, you can make informed decisions later on. Well, yeah, that, that's the, the interesting empirical side of this is that they're all like, oh, you shouldn't sexualize children. This is grooming. This is like uh, pedophilia or whatever. But, you know, the, the more children know, uh, you know, the frank terms of, of, of what sexual desire is, what appropriate boundaries are and things like this, the more quality sex education they have. That makes them more resilient to most types of child predation. And yet here we are. And, and beyond child predation, like, you know, me as a 15 year old. I wore a condom. I don't know that I would have wore a condom if I didn't have that education, you know, and then my life would have been radically different and probably worse. I got to decide when to have a family, when I wanted to, when I felt secure enough to do it. And I did that because I was taught how to plan for these things, how to think ahead. And you know, if you just like, because here's the thing is me as a 15 year old was probably going to be having sex anyways. Those urges would have existed whether I had the education or not. You were that irresistible. Like was there was no stopping. <laughs> I just mean like people are having sex. Like you can't stop. Like we, well, other than asexual people, like a lot of like People have sexual feelings and they're going to be expressed whether or not they've been educated. So it's like, wouldn't we prefer them to be educated when, when the time comes so they can make informed decisions? But it's like, they just like, I don't know, wait till you're 16, 16, 17 or 18. Like all of a sudden, like 18 and you're going to learn? Jesus fucking Christ. No, I mean, you got to keep children as, as in the dark and scared about it as possible so that, uh, you know, they, they, they bottle it up and then uh, have a very, very weird experience on their 18th birthday. It just, it, it blows my mind. Sorry, I rant over, but we... <laughs> and sorry if that was uh, too much information about my, my uh, monogamous relationship in high school. <laughs> uh, to my first girlfriend. Uh, shout out to Becky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, <laughs> we uh, I guess what I'll say is in the next part, they, they asked the more practical question, which is like, okay, boycott. Yes, Disney, promoting the sexuality of kids. 
Now, will the boycott be successful? I would say conservatively in Canada and the United States, a good 70 to 75 percent of consumers are against radical leftist woke ideology, against sexualizing children, you know, against forcing teenagers to make life altering decisions that they can't walk back uh, if later on they get to some clarity, against uh, pushing forward Marxist ideology, against going into schools and uh, saying that w one, uh, one ethnicity or one race is bad. I mean, we all, we used to call that racism back in my day, you know? <laughs> if you were against one ethnicity, we called you a racist. Now the left is, is trying to rebrand racism. Well, the left have always been racist. Let's be honest. Yep. In the United States, the history of racism is the history of the progressive left. The Democrat Party has always been the racist party. They're the ones who had the slaves. They got really mad when us Republican types went, took away their slaves, and they got smart you know, evil got smart and they said, you know what? We can't be open about our racism anymore. Let's let's call the other people racist. But we know we're still really the ones who are the racist because, you know, we're Democrats and we're progressives. And, you know, they've always been racist. Every progressive in the past has been a racist. They've put racism at the center of their thinking and they're doing it again. They're just pretending they're not. And it's very important for us to understand it. So. <laughs> I love this. There's no way out of this because we're pretending we're not. So it's like, you can't trust anything that I tell you right now. You're just reading his Dinesh D'Souza, I can see. But yeah. I, I do. I do love that. It's like, it, he just like hand waved away so much of American history there. Just somehow, somehow the Democrats were the slave owners. And then all of a sudden they were like, no, you're racist. Nothing else happened in American history. <laughs> There were no, uh, you know, geographical or political realignments or anything like that. No, it was just uh, I don't the even... Democrats were, were slaveholding our party once. Nothing's changed. We're still there. I mean, uh, Southern strategy is not real. Never happened. <laughs> the Dixiecrats were not a thing. None of, like none of this. None of the history there is is real at all. It's all it's all like whoo. The left were always racist. I, I do find it funny because we talked about, I think it was last week, about the, the conservative that just hand-waved uh, or referred to John Brown as being someone who just shoots conservatives and then just, like, ignores the what fact... What are those conservatives doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that he was an abolitionist killing slave owners. No, we're just going to ignore that and say he was hunting conservatives. Well, then aren't you saying that the conservatives were the slave owners if you say that? Like... Well, as we all know, progressivism is all about inventing new ways to be a racist. That's what we're concerned with. I, I also love how the, this has been spinned. And it was like, it was primarily a talking point during Black Lives Matter. But this idea that the left is centering race, where it's like, how do you deal with racism if not addressing race as an issue? <laughs> but somehow, if you, if you even try to talk about it to solve it, you are therefore doing it. And you're the bad person, not the person who's doing racist things, but saying, I'm not a racist. They're clearly innocent. Well, Jody, I don't know if you know this, but racism as a phenomenon actually works under the same rules as Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies. Like the, the more you talk about it, it, get, it and the more you fear racism, it gives racism more power. You just have to wait until everyone who knows about racism dies and it'll just go away. Yeah, you just have to pretend it isn't happening. And that's how you beat racism. No, it's it's brilliant, yeah. brilliant strategy. Let's let's see if that works. Notice as well that like 
that had nothing to do with whether or not a boycott is successful. But that was the answer to that question. I think like his answer was very short at the beginning of that segment, which was just uh, 70, 75 people, percent of people agree with us. So we could just uh, move on from that question because clearly the boycott will work if we all just get together because we're the majority. We're just definitely Infer from that what you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we, we don't need to evidence this in any way. Now, why haven't we succeeded with a boycott yet? I'm not going to answer that. But 70 to 75% of us are definitely on board. Any day now. Any day. So now we get to the end of this. And uh, Nikki ends his chat with David by talking about strong men and ladies. I'd rather they don't go out of business. Disney's a great American company started by a great American patriot. Walt Disney is now rolling in his grave yes. because he loved America and everything it stood for. If you read about this man's story... My God, it'll it'll give you goosebumps. It'll make you want to stand up and salute. He was such a great man. Now, he had his flaws. There were things about him that weren't great, but there were so many things about him that were great. And the folks at Disney right now are led by weak and competent leadership. There's a, yeah. a poem a friend of mine wrote. His name is Jeff Michael Hopp, and it goes something like this. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. Mm. Well, we're living in hard times right now because weak men have been in charge. We've had people in charge of Canada who are weak, like Justin Trudeau. We've had people uh, in charge of America that are weak, like Barack Obama and uh, Joe Biden. What we need right now is we need some of those hard men. Those are the men that need to come up and save the world. And yeah, we need, we need and, and listen, just in case there's anybody here who's going, oh, what about women? Well, yeah, we absolutely need hard women too. My favorite leader uh, of the last half of the 20th century is the, the late, great Margaret Thatcher. Yes. Lady Thatcher, the Iron Lady, uh, inspired me even more than Ronald Reagan, more than Pope John Paul II. She had big ovaries and she got them done. She had big ovaries. Carried <laughs> like, ovaries around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher, known for her large ovaries. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just listen for a moment here? Like, this is a very metaphorical version of strength here, right? Like, I, I still remember when uh, when Trudeau was first campaigning, and like, there's all like the the kind of thirst traps of like, oh, look at these like uh, uh, MMA uh, poses that he's doing, and then things like this. He's a he's a muscular boy, and things like that. Like, and we're supposed to contrast this with what? Like Donald Trump, who who believes that exercise uh, causes you to die prematurely. Yeah, but even in the Donald Trump case, wasn't he supposed to be the strong man? So why that, that's the claim, right? Like, well, then why aren't we having good times right now? Because they evaporated the instant we put uh, uh, Joe Brandon in, uh, in office. So, so Joe Brandon gets in, and because he's weak, it automatically creates the hard times. It it's, flips like a switch, straight away. The more you know. You went from the utopia under Trump, then the election was stolen, and then immediately we're in a dystopia. Now, of course, like this is like a fascist meme and all, and all that stuff, and it's largely stupid. And like it goes back to like how I, I think it was Tacitus was writing about the Romans, and like uh, it was then adopted by like Nazis or like people who reflected on Nazi Germany to talk about how like Weimar Germany was becoming too degenerate, and that's like what led to like the rise of Nazism. And like can I just say I've never heard it referred to as a poem before? Because if so, it's a poem that sucks. Well, not only that, it was a poem that was written by his friend. And I tried to Google the friend that he named. And I'm like, I don't know who this person is. This this hard times thing has been around for a while. So, like, why is he attributing it this to his friend? Well, <laughs> he, he, was, he was friends with an ancient time traveler. And, yeah, my uh... friend Joe Fascist. 
friend Joe Fascist just like showed up and was like, hey, I got this poem. About, it's about hard, hard chiseled men and their hard physique saving the day. I just invented this new thing. It's called fascism. And this is my sales pitch. Made a poem. Listen, there's, there's nothing sexual about what we're teaching here. We're just talking about physically hard men that are ready to like lift me. Lift me, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, Nikki Baloo. I don't. <laughs> what What do you think, Tim? What do you think of our new our new conservative boy over here? This is a, a quality new boy to add to the menagerie. There's a very chaotic energy <laughs> that he's bringing to Rebel here. I I uh, yeah I <laughs> I this is it's been a while since we've had a character like this because usually like Rebel we get like a repeat uh, array of characters. So this is just one. I was like, wow, this person is weird. <laughs> Onward, like, I, so. I remember remarking to myself recently how like Ezra will try to make a point about something and then he'll always kind of trail off at the end just attaching other things that he wants to give a negative connotation to and it's it's a little bit incoherent. But like this guy, this is a masterclass in starting to have a point and then you just meander around with everything you don't like. I mean, yeah, I think it is a, a conservative trait, I think. It's it's almost like, or at least like a conservative media personality trait. So it's almost like if I just keep talking no one will be able to nail down what I'm saying, but they'll get some sort of vague impression, and that's what I want to leave with them. Uh, but they all seem to do it in one way or another. Some of them just are more uh, in your face about it. <laughs> like our friend Nikki Baloo. So, Remarkable. there were two more days of the week, but honestly, nothing happened, but we'll, we'll go through them quickly. So on June 16th, Sheila Gunreed was the guest host. So, you know, Ezra was out for some reason, and we'll find out what that is in a second. But Sheila's piece is claiming that every time an important bit of information comes up, Trudeau gets COVID. So it's him lying about having COVID so that he doesn't have to talk to the media or something. Uh, even though he he still can talk to the media because I I don't know I don't know. <laughs> and apparently, the big news that he's hiding from is him removing the the airplane mandates the vaccine mandates but it's like why would he want to hide from those questions it also seems isn't that a thing that they think is good like he should have just done that earlier yeah i i don't know i don't i don't understand what she was on about but th that's what we get he needs to hide from all the adulation well, I mean, I guess they want to be like, well, what took you so long? And that's the question he's hiding from. But I'm, I'm sure he has a response to that. Like, I, so, <laughs> I don't I don't know. But uh, anyways, Sheila then interviews a new employee. And again, I don't care. Like, I love when they interview their like new employees to be like, you're a new employee. You're going to do a real good job. And they're like, yes, I am. What a what a great riveting material. Uh, that's news. baby. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get to June 17th and we find out that. Uh, Ezra was attending an event for the last few days. It was the JCCF. Remember that uh, that legal group or whatever. I guess they were having their Freedom Awards gala, so they were they were out there promoting freedom. And uh, I think it was Tamara Lich won an award. She was one of the people who was the the main organizer behind the Trucker Convoy. So Ezra was out there to support her in some capacity for this award. So whatever 
<laughs> or it could have also been like he said Tamara, and it could have been I, I, at least I thought it was like the lich person. It could have also been his own reporter. Now that I think about it, Tamara Ugolini. But then I don't know why she would have won an award. I mean, a couple. Yeah, like, of, I mean, a couple of years ago, she, the reason why she joined Rebel is because she walked on a beach and defied COVID restrictions right at the beginning of the pandemic, and that's how she got a, a job at Rebel. And she was anti-vaccine before anti-vaccine was cool. So I found a video of her on YouTube dating a pre-pandemic of her yelling about vaccine mandates at the Toronto City Hall. Uh, so she's hated vaccines for a long time. Good person. Give her an award Maybe for it. a president's award in that sense. Like she knew where the right wing was going before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's the before it was cool award. So. Hipster on- right wing. Yeah. <laughs> on the 17th, we end... The week with some Chinese hatred. I've been waiting for the xenophobia. You don't have a rebel week without the xenophobia. But the xenophobia here is so weird, okay? So I guess China built an aircraft carrier. And this brings their fleet numbers up to three. They have three aircraft carriers. Three too many, one might argue. And this now puts... Um, it's not clear. Ezra doesn't like straight out say that America is at risk now. They're not prepared for war against China. I mean, he kind of stipulates that throughout the whole piece that America is just not prepared for war against China. Although at one point he does go, now America still has 11 aircraft carriers. <laughs> Which as far as like, you know, you got 11, 11 uh, versus three. There's some sort of disparity in the military might between these countries. But, you know, uh, we're not ready for war against China, apparently. The other evidence for us not being ready at, at war with, to be at war with China is the fact that while they built an aircraft carrier, a general for the American military tweeted out that he was proud to serve with his LGBTQ uh, members. Which means that the American government is not ready to be at war with China. Didn't you know? <laughs> May I ask, why? Well, because... Supporting LGBTQ causes means you're not a hard man with, <laughs> with chiseled abs ready to, or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you are LGBTQ if you, you're a hard man. I was going to say, like, look, I, I don't want to look too deeply into this, but like, there's, there's a lot of really muscular gay people out there. I, you, don't you want them fighting uh, your foreign enemies? Put them, put them on one of the aircrafts where they will sit there and not, not war, hopefully. <laughs> I just like I did like the one thing I will say about this piece is like they they're kind of like uh you know vague about the subject but this is him like outwardly saying that we need to be militarily prepared to go to war with China which uh is a little weird a little weird you know yeah I I I don't think we need to be military prepared to go to China, war with China I I don't feel that you know like things are mostly fine like what would the war be about well, like, I think that, like, he, he want like, th- this gets really weird, because he seems to be, like, anti-us, like, helping Ukraine, even though he doesn't like what Russia did. That seems to be, like, his weird approach to, to the, uh, the conflict there. But he also thinks if China invades Taiwan, we need to blow them off the face of the earth. So there's, like, this weird, <laughs> this weird sort of, like, I don't even, I don't even know if it's like a double standard. It's just this weird fucking I I hold the protection of Taiwan sacred because I really hate China. Where Russia 
I don't like them, but I don't hate them as much as China, so therefore, which is, I don't know, not good reasoning in my opinion. <laughs> this seems to be more about the subject than the transgression, if you right. follow my meaning. Right. You're just kind of looking for a reason to get mad at China because you've decided you don't like them. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, the, the rest of the, like he has Gordon Chang on as the interview subject, who again is been predicting for decades that China is going to collapse and has yet to collapse, but it's coming. Any day now. Any, Any day, day, Jody. Any day. And uh, he's on to be like, yeah, like uh, China is planning to invade Taiwan. That's what they're doing. They're ramping up for it. Before this podcast episode comes out, China's economy is going to collapse. Disney's going to collapse from boycotting. And we are going to look so stupid. Yeah. Just egg on our face. <laughs> So Vienna normally does a segment here, but they are currently in the frosty lands of Finland. And so, Tim, why don't, why don't you tell us to read, watch, listen, or, or whatever you're going to tell us to do here at the, the end of the show? Look, I'm, I'm going to make two recommendations for two different reasons here. First things first, I'm representing Australia, so I'm, I'm obligated to just do the opposite of anything uh, Avi Yamini is doing. So because he was, was on Twitter trying to make hay of like, oh, you, it turns out you shouldn't believe all women because look at the Amber Heard uh, Johnny Depp trial and things like this. Let me just say, I know nobody likes to hear about this. It's awful. It's, it's uh, you know, celebrity nonsense. It bounces up your brain, etc. But, you know, there, there's a real kind of like cultural cache that goes into this. So I'll make two recommendations here. If you are interested in the underlying factual basis for why it is a very bad ruling, I, I strongly recommend an article which is called the bleak spectacle of the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial. Uh, you know, we can put up a, a link for this. It, it kind of lays out why the evidentiary standard was so kind of uh, in Amber Heard's favor, but the, the jury trial kind of um, spins the other way anyway. But if you're interested in looking at the wider cultural context of what this represents, the idea that, you know, uh, Me Too has been a set of uh, symbolic but not material uh, elements of progress on, on, on women's rights, and this is a kind of overreaction back against that. You're trying to kind of uh, find a, a villainous woman where a perfect example doesn't exist. I'd recommend the, the Substack article, Who's Afraid of Amber Heard? It kind of lays out the, the cultural setting of that really well. But that said, if you're interested in something fun, something that is ACAB, anti-colonialist, something that is dude's rock to a degree that I did not think was possible in film, if you have a Netflix account, I strongly recommend watching the film RRR. That is the letter R three times. It is an Indian film, which, ah, how to explain this? It's a... Uh, it's a fictional film about two real historical uh, anti-colonial revolutionaries. Uh, it's set in 1920. And it's just imagining what if these two guys were absolute giga chads who were also best friends and they, they did dudes rock energy so hard uh, that they, uh, you know, just defeated England. It, it's an amazing <laughs> movie. I can't recommend it enough. It's extremely violent. So, you know, if, if that's not your thing, uh, I wouldn't recommend going for it. But like, it's got amazing action sequences. It's got a long sequence where they get into a dance contest against some English fops and absolutely destroy them. I can't recommend it strongly enough if you want good vibes. RRR, go for it. Well, thank you so much, Tim, uh, for hanging out. Uh, it was a pleasure. I should say uh, Tim and I were, uh, I guess, online acquaintances way before I started to do this podcast. And so, uh, you know, 
he's a great a great fellow and and why don't you uh, tell people where they could find some of your stuff if like i know you probably don't use twitter like every day but if uh, you want to shout out your twitter <laughs> anyways but i mean you can find me on twitter if you're interested uh, at, at at dr t marsh you know at dr t marsh but again like i don't really have anything to promote i i, I like to consider myself a friend of the show i don't know if i'm i'm you know outstepping my bounds to call myself that but no, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I think as as leader of the show <laughs> I give you friend of the show designation. So fantastic. It's a dream come true for me. But yeah, no, really. If you listening to this want to know what to listen to, listen to more of this show. It's great. Well, thank you, Tim. And uh yes, we we will have two more guests as uh this week or week, this month progresses. Uh you know, Vienna is only gonna be in Finland for, for two weeks, but they return on the, the day we normally record. So I will have a uh, a third guest uh, host one week. But then Vienna will be back and we'll go back to regular scheduling. But thank you, Tim, for filling in. Again, it was uh, a pleasure, even though this was a super long episode, but it was, we had some characters. We had to, we had to go over it. So thank you so much for your patience. Absolutely. No, the pleasure was all mine. I loved it. And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a discord set up. We uh, do Twitch streams, even though I've slowed them down a bit. I'm just figuring some stuff out. So I won't give you a schedule yet. We'll sort of like work that out. Uh, we do have some videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And anyone who says cancel the cancel culture... You're canceled. It's a much worse ball of canceling. Yes, we we are we are canceling the cancel the cancel culture, cancel culture. It's cancels all the way down, baby. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields?